Yesterday, all Dawn supporters celebrated the anniversary of our greatest ever triumph, the 2-1 1983 European Cup Winners' Cup final victory over Real Madrid in Gothenburg. And this week on the AFC Dawn's Cast, we reminisce on those magic moments as we hear from supporters about that magical day. Plus, at the end of the show, a mass listen to snippets of news coverage from that moment in May 1983. Hello, welcome to the AFC Don's Castle Lockdown Edition number 7. It's Graham Mackay here with your weekly Red Army Roundup. Hope you're all keeping safe and well. Coming up this week on the show, more SPFL shenanigans and the Rangers dossier that failed. We hear Eskimo Blonde's charity single for the AFC Community Trust, plus some signing news as we catch up with Ethan Ross and Connor Barron at home. And Captain Fantastic Russell Anderson reflects on his career. This is the AFC Don's Cast on Tuesday the 12th of May. Is there anybody out there? Can you hear me? How are you doing? I'm not just an ordinary voice. Not just a film trailer voice. I am. A voiceover. The Mind the Gap voice. The X Factor voice. The impressionist voice. So great. The Big Brother voice. Speaking clock voice. The newsreader voice. The smart speaker voice. The voice of the balls. The weakest link voice. The cartoon voice. The voice that says... Press 1 for customer service. And... Don't forget your change, especially notes. And... Gordon's alive! We are speaking as one. To say... To say... To say... Stay at home. Protect the NHS. Save lives. And... Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Continue de parler. Bat karte rahi. Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Don't keep it to yourself. And if others want to talk to you, listen. We can all get through this if we stay at home. Protect the NHS. Save lives and keep ruddy well talking. A message from Voiceovers United. Anyone thinking that the EGM held by the SPFL clubs today will be the end of the bitter infighting can think again. The meeting came off the back of another week of statements and Q&As between the SPFL and Rangers, calls for legal action and an anomaly in the version of events relayed by Dave Cormack and the SPFL in relation to the claim by Rangers that Aberdeen negotiated a concession from Neil Doncaster prior to voting that Premiership clubs would be consulted prior to the SPFL board calling the Premiership. The SPFL responded saying this is categorically false. No commitment was made to any club, which was not made to all 42 clubs in the legal briefing note sent out until the 8th of April. 
It is the case that Aberdeen Football Club were seeking such a commitment. There was a discussion during the afternoon of the 10th of April about the possibility of Neil Doncaster taking a request to the SPFL board during this afternoon. However, by the time the SPFL board met at 5pm that day, Aberdeen FC had made it clear that they did not wish Neil Doncaster to take such a request forward. As a result, no such request was brought to the SPFL board. That version of events appears to be at odds with what Dave Cormack said in a statement on the club website that evening on the 10th of April, where he states having received assurances that the SPFL will consult with all 12 Premier League clubs before making a decision on the current season, Aberdeen Football Club voted for the resolution. Dave Cormack also said the same thing on BBC Sports Sound on the 18th of April. Yes, we were negotiating for one of a better term uh, for the board of the SPFL to agree that any decision on ending the Premiership, etc., would be taken by 75% of the clubs. Uh, at 4.40pm, just before the decision, uh, we were effectively told that they'd got their nine votes and they didn't need ours. And so at that point in time, we kind of made a decision based upon, let's say, the lower league teams, plus also an assurance verbally that... Um, that no decision would be made or will be made as we sit here today until uh, the majority of clubs in the Premiership were on board, so that, that consultative process. So that, that's how we ended up making the no vote. Uh, the yes vote, I'm sorry. Yeah. So who is in the wrong, the SPFL or Dave Cormack? It could be that the simpler explanation is that the verbal assurance provided satisfied Aberdeen and didn't need to be put to the SPFL board, but why not say that in either of the statements released? Yesterday, Aberdeen announced that they would vote in favour of the resolution at today's EGM for an independent inquiry, citing that it's the only way of drawing a line and a highly damaging episode for the whole of Scottish football. However, the vote failed to gain the 75% required after only 13 of the 42 member clubs voted in favour of the resolution. And I'm just noting as we're recording this that it's statement galore coming in, so you'll have to follow all that on Twitter and Facebook and online. Meanwhile, Aberdeen were among six Premiership clubs who called time on any thoughts of league reconstruction happening anytime soon. In a meeting hosted by Dave Cormack on Friday last week, five other clubs joined Aberdeen, according to the BBC, in killing the proposals. These included St Mirren, St Johnston, Ross County, Hibs and Dundee United. Les Gray of Hamilton, who led the reconstruction task force with Hearts Chief Anne Badge, sent an email to clubs confirming the decision on Friday night, where he stated it became apparent that there was insufficient support for any prospect of league reconstruction at this time. Dave Cormack, speaking on behalf of the Premiership, said, The strong feeling of the group was that we must focus all our energies on emerging from the crisis we face due to the pandemic, on getting back to playing football safely and getting fans back into grounds as soon as practically possible. Whilst the group sympathises with the plight of the situation the relegated teams are faced with, it concluded this is not the right time to consider immediate reconstruction in the midst of a crisis. The group is willing to engage in and pick up on these discussions once we are through COVID-19. Under 18, captain Connor Barron has signed a new two-year contract with the Dons. Connor actually signed the new deal just before Scottish football went into lockdown. The under 18 captain, who was on the bench this season for the first team, had been recognised for the level of performances he has put in since joining the club as a full-time professional two years ago after graduating from the AFC Youth Academy. This season, the 17-year-old has led his side to the top of the Club Academy Scotland Under-18 League and the SFA Youth Cup final after 17 wins, one draw and only one loss. From midfield, Connor has chipped in with 13 goals. 
As revealed last week on the show, Aberdeen band Eskimo Blonde has composed and recorded a song that tells the story of a city in lockdown and how people need to reach out, offer support, stay home and stay safe. The indie rock band, who has supported acts like Ocean Colour Scene and Girls Aloud, have dedicated the song to Aberdeen Football Club and its community trust and are donating all monies generated by downloads of the track to their ongoing work in supporting the community through lockdown. You can download the track now from Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, iTunes and Apple Music. Here's Dave Cormack. And I think it's fitting that uh, we can come together in our city, a city and region, to, um, to think about what we've gone through and what we're going through, because we will get through this uh, together. Um, so I hope you enjoy the tune. You can retweet it and, and get it around, because um, we're hopeful that this will also be able to contribute funds to the community trust um, to continue the great work that they are doing in the city and, and city region. So anyway, um, Stand free, stay safe, stay healthy, hashtag still standing free from the States.
got two brothers, and they're not interested in football. My dad wasn't interested in football, but for some reason I just liked football. It was the size of the place that I couldn't go to because when you look at it from outside, you didn't think it's as big as that inside. So that was one thing, and then I did notice there wasn't a lot of girls there at all. Uh, sometimes it was a bit scary outside the Mirkland Road East when it was sort of Rangers games when there was massive crowds. It was like 32, 36,000. Uh, the passion was there for an early age. I said uh, Uncle, you got the football tonight? She says, no, I'm named it to go away. I said, well, come with me. I'll meet you at the ABC cinema, 7 o'clock. Are you OK? It's a Monday night. What else did you do on a Monday night? So uh, that was that, um, and then we just started going to football, home and away, the stadium changing as the years go on, uh, and then... We got married in February 82. We just decided there and then that if they got through Europe, we'd go and see them in Europe. Because uh, my mum was quite ill at the time, she'd, she'd had a stroke and she was very, very ill, so we couldn't, uh, there's no way I could have gotten away for the honeymoon or anything like that. Stuart flooded in, Strachan shrugged off Kleisters, took it towards the goalkeeper, tempted him out of his goal, played it across for McGee, it was blocked brilliantly in the line by Bielush, blocked again, McGee once more, Miller came forward, and McGee on the ground got the last touch. I didn't think it was the best idea to take a wife on the ferry, right? So uh, we actually watched it, I worked at Baker Oil Tools in the Broadfold Drive, just at Erland Road, and one of my friends was, his father was working with us and we opened this fire door and saw the, the St. Clair going away. So it was Dan Air Flight and it was a Tuesday night, 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, there was a technical problem, so it was 10 o'clock and the airport closed at 10. We got away and I thought, oh, we've got to get over here. And we got into Gothenburg after 2 in the morning and it was just, we were there to win it, we really were. Some of my schoolmates, whatever, have fallen by the wayside, ran to football. And I kind of quite grasped that, you know, like I just didn't understand it, because to us it's, it's a tradition. And now Aberdeen with McGee making the break, and Hewitt waiting in the middle! Hewitt! Aberdeen Football Club's my life, it really is. Supporting it after all these years, and. Every time I just get a buzz, it doesn't matter who we're playing, if it's a little team or a, some, a bigger team, it's just absolutely fantastic, it really is. I just get butterflies in my tummy. We all want to protect ourselves and our loved ones against coronavirus. And one of the best ways to do this is to keep washing our hands. Make sure you wash thoroughly and often with soap and water for 20 seconds, particularly when you get home. Use hand sanitizer if there's no soap and water available. By doing this, you will reduce the risk of catching and spreading the virus. Secondly, try and avoid touching your face, especially your eyes, nose and mouth. These are two of the best ways we can prevent infection, stop the virus and save lives. 
Well, yesterday we celebrated Gothenburg Day and Mal caught up with a few supporters who travelled to Sweden. Historian Kevin Sterling recalls the memorable trip on the P&O ferry St Clair. First up, though, Mike Brown of the Sterling Reds Supporters Club and Ken Kerr of the Inverness Reds described their equally memorable journey by plane as thousands of supporters headed to Scandinavia. We look back and some, some wonderful memories. Um, now, looking at the two of you, you both must have been very young in 1983. <laughs> so can you, you, may, you maybe want to start by just telling us... <laughs> I, still, I, I still am young, if I know. <laughs> I, I was about 18, 17, 18 at the time. Right, and where were you living, Mike? I was living in Calendar. Okay. With my parents at the time. And it was my father who took me and my cousin. Okay. I mean, were you going to a lot of the Dons games back then? Uh, no, not as much as I was now. Uh, mm. uh, it's, it's only recent that I started going back up to as many games before. When I was younger, when I was uh, at school time, school days and that, my dad used to take me from, when we used to live in Edinburgh, he used mm-hmm. to take me to every home game up in Aberdeen, then obviously Easter Road and Tynecastle. Uh, Ken, what were you doing in 1983? I was 19, just coming up 20, and uh, I went across way. I think there was about half a dozen of us went across in total, just on a package trip from Stenhaven. That was where I was living, Stenhaven, my old hometown. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a travel agent in Stenhaven that we all booked our, booked our package trip with. So that was uh, that was that was my journey. I'd been up, I went my first Aberdeen game October 1970. So coming up the 50th anniversary this year. Uh, so I've been a Don's. I was already a, quite a long-standing Don's fan by '83, and uh, at that time I was I was getting to as many games as I could. I was involved with amateur football, so latterly I was going to a lot more games once I was a season ticket holder. But I was just saying to Mike, unfortunately, the last couple of seasons, geography and circumstances have turned me into a bit of a part timer. But there you go. Still followed the Don's. Still in my heart. Good stuff. Okay, so let's go back. We beat Watershy five-one in the home leg. What was the, you know, did did you start thinking about going to the final then, or did you wait for the, the second leg? Me, I, we took. Is it me? I, yeah, did you wait? I was. At, I didn't go to the Watershed game, but I was at the Bayern Munich game, and mm-hmm. straight after that game finished, there was no doubt in anybody. That we were to so obviously after after the Bayern Munich game, that was it. We knew that was what was going to happen. And Ken, how did you decide how you were going? Because there was obviously various options. Yeah. The, the famous boat, the St. Clair. I mean, was there a lot, you know, was it quite hard getting booked on planes and things? It, it wasn't really. It was, I mean, it was more how we're going to get there. And, it, you know, the cost was a big factor because, you know, mm-hmm. a 19-year-old lad, I wasn't exactly flush in them days. And uh, after that, I mean, I was at the Watershed game and we kind of knew then that, yeah, this is it, we're going through now. And a few of my mates had actually booked up to go to the second leg in Watershy before the first leg, which tended being a, ended up being a bit of a dead rubber. But, uh, yeah, we started investigating. I did I had the initial, you know, I was initially investigated the Sinclair and everything, but we got this, we got a good deal on this uh, package trip with a, a local guy, so we just ended up going that for the one night, the, out in the Wednesday morning and back in the Thursday. Okay. So, But certainly the seeds were planted immediately after the Watershy game. Yeah. So, Mike, when did you actually know you were going to Gothenburg? Uh, it was only a few weeks before, a couple okay. of weeks before, uh, and my dad, I had no option which way we were going, it was my dad, he was going to the plane, he was paying, uh-huh. and uh, that was it, I still owe him for that, I never paid him back for that one, 
<laughs> there you go. So, uh, okay. I might still have chance to do that. I don't know when. <laughs> so tell us, you arrive at the airport, Mike. Yeah. What was it like? Was it just chaos, or was it quite well organised? It wasn't too bad because we went a couple of days before, but it was all on, on the plane we were on. It was all Aberdeen supporters. Okay. And, uh, I've got a photograph of us when we were on the plane there. Wow. <laughs> uh, I look a bit younger there, I think. Oh, you've not changed a bit, Mike. <laughs> That's my drinking days, anyway. <laughs> so you flew it. So so you flew out on the the Monday then, did you? Have a choice? Uh, I think it was. I think we yeah the Monday because we had a whole day in Sweden to uh, to sightseeing around Sweden on uh-huh. one full day so yeah and then we came back because we came back on the Thursday yeah okay and Ken did you you flew out on the day of the game is that right yeah the, the early in the Wednesday morning went from Dice and uh, my dad gave me my pal a lift in from Stenhaven early doors about six in the morning and when we arrived at Dice I'd probably describe it as organised chaos because the place was absolutely hoaching but. Everybody was getting there, you know. It was it was quite well organised. It was quite well planned, but it's as busy as I've ever seen Dice Airport. And yeah. of course, uh, Jane Frankie was there waving everybody off. I think every everybody that flew out of Dice met Jane. So, <laughs> <laughs> they had a, a chat and everything. So, but yeah, so it was uh, it was certainly crazy times. It was and crazy. Ken, and Ken, I think they ran out of beer at the airport, didn't they? I mean, or, or they only had special brew left or something. Is that right? I did hear something about that. I mean, it was like it was half six, seven in the morning, so we weren't really up for up for drinking at that time. But it wouldn't have surprised me because there was plenty of shapes in the go even at that time. There really was. <laughs> but yeah, it was all all good. So, and I think we arrived in Gothenburg kind of. I can't remember what the time difference was. There was a time difference, but it was only like a couple hours. <clears throat> but I think it was kind of mid to late morning. We arrived like about half past ten, eleven o'clock in the morning. So. We were kind of there for the, the full day and uh, we were staying about seven, eight miles out of the city, I think, in a liner called the Tor Scandinavia. So we got we got shuttled out there when we came off the charter flight and uh, got settled into the wee cabins. And that was when we sussed out how expensive the drink was in Sweden because there was a, a sort of function room bar bit on the, the, the liner. We went in there for a pint and, uh, oh, this is going to get pricey if we're wanting to have a few beers. So we got, we made our way into town. We actually, there was a whole bunch of people, fans staying in the liner, waiting to get bussed into town. And there was some kind of hold up just because of the volume of fans. So the few of us, we decided that we'd, we'd head off into town under our own steam. And we had bought a couple of these overpriced beers at the on the liner. And we were just drinking them in the sort of car park, get bit at the dock. Uh-huh. We decided we'd head into town. And we found our way to a motorway. And we were drinking our beers and trying to hitch a lift. And unbeknown to us, just a, it's an hour or so in Swedish soil, that actually meant we're breaking three local laws. And that we were, we're drinking out of beer, drinking out of cans in public. We were hitchhiking on a motorway. And there was there was something else as well. But it was a, it was actually an empty bus picked us up. A coach driver was off duty. And he told us, you're actually breaking three laws doing that here. <laughs> but he took us into the city. And this was before the heavens really opened. You know, we just had a nose about and... Went to the shopping centre where I think everybody went and uh, just nosed around the town. But it's a beautiful place. I was saying the earlier on, what, what struck me about Sweden when we were coming through the country into the city was just how clean everything was. It was just stereotypically Scandinavian. We all had wooden houses, pine trees and uh, the lakes and everything. It was just a really, really beautiful place and everything. Into the city as well, everything was really clean and 
spotless, you know. Mike, what was your what, what do you remember about the city? Right, well well when we arrived quite late, so then we went straight to bed at the hotel, but then the hotel was about fifteen minutes walk from the ground. But when we got up in the morning, uh, looked out the window and there was all these all weather football pitches in the back, the back of the hotel, and it was all women that were playing. Uh, it was quite amazing. I'd never seen 12, 14 pitches. And uh, so we decided to go out and have a wee watch of that. And then uh, at half time, I gave a wee, a wee half time pep talk. <laughs> Usual Scottish standards. With the white socks here, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then uh, after that, yeah, the city was very clean and uh, we wandered about the town. Uh, and on that on that day, with the the team were training at the stadium, and we were allowed to uh, to go to go in and watch them. And uh, I've got a couple of photographs. That was some of them on the park there. Oh, superb! Yeah. And then I think you can see that one. I think that's Doug Rigby there. Fantastic! Yeah. yeah. So it was just like an open training session, and people were allowed yeah. in, yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah, it's fantastic. And also, I like this one. There's Big Jock. Jock Steen, yeah. Giving us a new wave. So, uh, so we spent the day doing that. And uh, and then back to the hotel. And uh, more drinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So this built up to the game in the afternoon. Obviously, the, I'm sure the excitement's building and all the rest of it. What was your thoughts in the game? I mean, was it was there a nervousness, or was this not? We're going to win. Was it just a confidence? Personally speaking, there was an excitement, but I in them days, you, you just always thought Aberdeen were going to win. You know, there was no. I mean, you, you're kind of thinking Real Madrid oof, might be a bit tricky. You know, it's no, it's no St. Mirren at home, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we should be. You, you just thought you were going to win because the team was just so dominant at that time domestically that there was nothing. And after the Bayern Munich game, anything was possible. That was that was how my mind was working. There was an excitement, there was a, a nervousness. And I think, you know, as I alluded to the price of the beer earlier, but I remember consciously thinking at one point, you know, this is a European final. I wanted, you know, I, I didn't really want to be boozy and near remember it. I wanted to keep a clear head and sort of drink everything in. And that was the way it worked out until after the game. So, and I, th- I mean, I think most of the fans were really pretty confident because we'd just gotten so used to winning. So used to winning, so used to winning trophies. And so you just dominate in the opposition, and the fact that it was Real Madrid—it's just another team, you know. Yeah. It was—it was Real Madrid. It's a big name, but we could take them, and turned out we were right. Mike, do you remember your walk? You remember going to the stadium? I remember. Listen, I was—we were so confident. That was how confident I was before the game. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but before the game, everybody. Everybody was confident about the game. There was no no defeat in anybody's mind at all. Mm. Um, but what I do remember, yeah, I remember the, the, the pouring rain and word came round that uh, the game was maybe going to be cancelled. Well, okay, I was going to ask that. So, I mean, there was concern, was there, yeah? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, I think it was about six o'clock before we actually realised the game was still on. Okay. And uh, so then, um, yeah, so I mean, it was, 
it was a bit of a question mark about the game, which which uh, was a bit of a, a worrying thing. I've heard a lot of fans saying that, but we weren't aware. That, well, the crowd I was with, we weren't aware of that. We only became aware of these rumours that the game was in doubt after the game. <clears throat> Before the game, we never heard any of that, you know, because we were, as I say, we were just wandering around, basically uh, just taking in the sights. We had a couple of pints, went to the, the big shopping centre where the cup had been, and we were aware it was, you know, it was absolutely dinging down. But uh, we never heard any of the rumours that the game was in jeopardy, and we heard about them afterwards, but that was that was it. There was a few. We actually got talking to a couple of guys. I've still got somewhere. I've still got a Real Madrid cap somewhere that I, I swapped a red and white scarf for with this, this Spanish guy. And I'd have actually dug it out, but I'm honestly not sure where it is. I think it's in the loft in a bag somewhere. I definitely still have it. But there wasn't that many. There was uh, there was a guy with a drum, obviously, who was a bit of a pain. But uh, <laughs> I, think only a, I don't know if there was even a couple of thousand of them over there. No, because, there was, no, there was very, very few, wasn't as many. But we did, we got talking to these two guys, and they were nice enough, you know. They, we didn't really, they, they were nice guys, they were just, it was just another European final for them, you know. Yeah. Well, like, I, I think they just thought it was a formality, there was no need to go. But well, I think, yeah, and I, I think sadly, I mean, the weather, I think, probably put a lot of the Swedish people off, so I mean, like, the crowd was probably a lot lower because of the weather. When did what did what do you remember about arriving at the stadium? I, well, when I got to the stadium, I went and bought a program, and it wasn't until I got inside the pro, inside the stadium that it was in Spanish or Swedish. The whole program, <laughs> one of them. That, that was a, sadly I never kept it. I probably should have, but uh, no, you, I binned it. <laughs> it in temper, and it was in oh, I mean, yeah, I got diddled out of that one. Uh, we, we got diddled with them as well, but I've still got my official couple of programmes somewhere as well. Again, everything's stashed away now. I should have I should have taken the time to dig it all out. But yeah, the Spanish programmes, I still have somewhere. And also oh, a, uh, a big a pennant with the team lineups on it and everything. But I mean, we arrived at the ground and it's it was really quite an... It was kind of like a space-age-looking stadium to us in those days. You know, we were used to Bittaudry, the Scottish stadiums and that. And this was something different with the sort of big sloping undulations and that. And it looked really quite space-aged to us. But, and, of course, there was the fountain outside. That, that had just been opened that day or, or really, really quite recently. And that, was, that came into play after the game. But before the game, we just kind of wandered around the stadium, quite impressed by the, by the architecture of it. And then we meandered our way inside. But we found it was the, where we were sitting. I think it was the same all the way around. It was the old Beach End-style benches. It wasn't a, I mean, I guess it was 83, you know, so... It was the beach end style benches. It wasn't the, the proper individual seats. But we had actually quite a cracking view. We were uh, in the upper tier, the side the cameras were at, in line with just about the 18-yard box and the goal that uh, Johnny got the winner into. So it was a perfect spot. Mike, where about were you in the ground? We were um, opposite the, the opposite the dugout uh, area and then we were about halfway up sort of like in the halfway line part. Mm -hmm. So we had, we had a fantastic view as well. Um, I, the, the one sad part was, uh, I think a few rows up from me, some guy took a heart attack and I believe died. Yeah, that's right, sadly. Is that right? I, yeah, there was um, sadly a fan who died there. Yeah, Yeah. well, that was, there was seemingly was a few rows up from us. But uh, no, we had a great view of, of the whole thing. 
and um, it's, it's one of my favourite. Sorry, mate. It's one of my favourite stadiums. Still, just I mean, because of the, the iconic nature of it and just just the occasion. But uh, I, I mean, the game itself. We were, you know, we were just apart from the spell after we lost the penalty to half time for the whole 120 minutes. We were just utterly dominant. We really were. We were so much better than them. And I think that was the thing because the longer it went at one each, you know, you kind of thought we should have had this tied up by now. Are we going to get sucker punched here? You know, that was that was the thinking later on. But no, that the game. I mean, that's the main thing that sticks in my mind is how many chances we missed yeah. during the, the course of the game. We just seemed to miss chance after chance. I remember striking at a volley at the back post. Eric Black. Well, that initially you had Eric Black hitting the bar with that scissors kick just a couple of minutes in. And we kind of thought, well, it's not a bad start to a cup final, that. And then we got the first goal minutes after that. But I, I honestly believe if, if Madrid, <clears throat> excuse me, it's no symptoms, honest. I've just, I've got bad sinuses. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, if we hadn't lost that penalty, I, I think we'd have seen it out at 1-0 or maybe nicked a second because we were just so comfortable until we lost that penalty. We were really, we were just better than them. We were really a lot better than them on the day. Whether that was down to them being complacent or whether we were just a better side, who knows? But Mike, what do you what do you remember about the game, Mike? Was it? I mean, did it go quickly, or was it? Was it, you know, was it slow, or do you, do you remember it quite well? I, th- I think it went quickly, really. I, I wish I could have taken it in more than what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was just the atmosphere kept you going all through the game. But as I said, the, the, the most nervous bit was the bit at the end when he made them retake the free kick okay. second time. The amount of swear words that came out of my mouth at 18 years old was unreal towards the referee. And uh, <laughs> it's probably the only part of the game that I probably did not watch that second free kick um, because it just it was too nerve-wracking. But what a relief and joy when, when they missed it. Yeah. The free kick where we were sat, we were kind of diagonally right behind it. And the thing is, I see to this day, it was actually further by the post than you thought. Because when you see it in TV, it looks like it shaved the post, but it was actually, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was still close. It was, there was, you know, there was a couple of feet's daylight between the ball and the post. And it was, as soon as the guy hit it, I knew it was going by from the angle I had. And uh, but off oh, when they made him retake it, that was, <laughs> that was torture. <laughs> Jim Layton always tells me he had it covered, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to the celebrations afterwards in a minute. But just tell tell me about what happened when the goal went in. Was it just bedlam? Was it just bedlam? Just absolute bedlam. I mean, I, I that's the one bit that I kind of really remember. I completely lost it for a few minutes, and I got I'm quite emotional when I watch the Dons in big games, and I was I was in floods for then to the full time whistle. And I just completely lost my shame. I just I, I, probably, I probably ended up three rows down or something like that, or three rows yeah. back. You, know, you just, you just, uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, Bodies, yeah, bodies everywhere, just legs, arms. It was just an absolute. It's probably the mentalist bounce I've ever been part of. I would say, and it was just. Well, then it was just how long to go, how long to go, how long to go, and that was. Bef- before everybody, of course, had fancy stopwatches, so you're kind of estimating, and <laughs> well, it was <laughs> it was a wee bit fraught that last few minutes, but yeah, just great, great days. But really so, Mike, what was what did you do after the game? Did you stay in the stadium for a while, or did you? I mean, there was I a thing the outside stadium, as well. I think everybody I was in the stadium, uh, obviously for the 
trophy presentation and stuff. Uh, and then we left the ground and I lost my dad somewhere along the way. Uh, uh, and we went, me and my cousin went to a couple of pubs. There was some nightclub or somewhere that a lot of the Aberdeen fans were going to, but I, I never made that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we just, uh, I just headed home. I don't know what time I got home, maybe two in the morning. Okay. You got to remember, I was 18. I couldn't drink as much as I used to then. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the, I think the uh, energy you lost at the game was, was just drained you out totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you woke up in the morning and re- realised what had happened, it was fantastic. Yeah, after after the game, it was a it was a bit of a giggle. I we stayed in the ground for ages. I, I think we must have been close to being the last fans out because I think there was something amongst us. We just didn't want to leave. We didn't want it to end. So we meandered about the stand, and we met. Do you remember Brian Moore, the English commentator? Mm-hmm. Went up to the commentary, but we clocked him. So went up and had a chat with him and got his autograph and everything. Had the banter with him and. Uh, he had a kind of minder guy with him, and we were all just having a laugh and a joke. I was, uh, I was telling him he wasn't as good as Archie McPherson, that. and I think the guy thought we were being serious, you know. So I've got a bit scary with this, but I says, "No, no, I just uh, calm down. You're, you're more handsome than David Coleman. Don't worry about it, and all that kind of stuff, you know." But then, as we're coming out the ground, we saw this fountain, and it was all lit up. It was all kind of floodlit and, and what have you. And by this time, of course, it was full Aberdeen fans dancing. And we're coming down the steps at the back of the stand, and I says, oh, "Look at that shower of clowns in there! They'll catch your death." And just when we got down to the fountain, I heard a, another a voice, another guy I knew from St Haven says, "Kendall, get your bleep into this fountain now!" So I took a run and just went straight into the fountain and started paddling about with them all. <laughs> Absolutely crazy times. But then after the after the paddling frolics in the fountain, we went and just had a wander around the stadium, and we met uh, Gordon Strachan and Willie Miller coming out. So went up and spoke to them and says they said oh, they'd been taken for the, the dope test. So they had a load of beers with them because they'd been given out to help them to, to yeah. provide the specimen sort of thing. So they were handing us out a few beers and they said, oh, the rest of the guys are coming out the other side, round the other side of the stadium. So after we'd seen Gordon and Willie, we wandered round there and we saw the team coming out of the ground. And uh, I actually held Alec McLeish's medal. Uh, he, he was sort of showing it to us and... I remember Big Doug was kicking about at that time. He was the honorary president of the Stenhaven Supporters Club. So when Big Doug got wind that we were for Stoney, he was he was doing saying hello to us and oh, it was just great times. But I remember when we were waiting for the team to come out, the two rows of cops like forming a gangway for the team to come out. And there was an Aberdeen fan sort of stood with his head in between the two coppers like this. And he put his hands out the front and goes, shoot all the acquaintance. <laughs> the Swedish cops didn't have a clue what he was on foot. But these guys had guns, so I was a bit wary of them, you know. But, uh, <laughs> happy, happy, times. happy, happy times. So you had to come home. Wait, wait, how did Mike, when did you arrive back in Aberdeen? Uh, it was late afternoon, or no, um, it was mid-afternoon. Yeah, it was mid afternoon. I think we get, we got back, mm-hmm. um, and on the but on the plane coming back, with the Scottish Cup coming up, we were all there was no doubt we were going to win that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the confidence was just so high um, on the on the way back, and and uh, and then yeah, we arrived back at midday. Yeah, Kendall, did you, did you make it back? 
did you make it back for the parade? No, no, we didn't. I was I was saying to Mike Erler, I mean, after after the game, we were. I was just going to say we were talking to Roland Arnett, the physio at that time. Mm-hmm. Roland, he was an English fella. He was a uh, he was like a physio at Wimbledon. He was quite well connected. And he was telling That's us, right. yeah. Eric will be fit for the cup final. Eric will be fit for the cup final. He kept saying Eric Black, and sure enough, he went on to score a win in the cup final. Mm-hmm. But after after the game, I mean, we had we had seventy eight miles to navigate out to a liner that we were staying in. So that was a bit of a planes, trains, and automobiles. But we got there. And in the function bit, there was a disco party type thing. I was a band. I can't, can't remember if it was a band or a DJ, but that kept on well into the night. But my last memory is about four in the morning. This liner we're staying in, me and one of my mates decided we'd go up on deck to get some fresh air. And we found a piper. And he could still play, but unfortunately he'd lost the use of his legs. So me and my mate got this piper stood up well, he played and marched him around the deck, <laughs> and, then, and after that, it was off to bed. But we were uh, we were flying home the next day, and everybody was pretty rough by this thing, because uh, no matter the cost, we'd we'd gotten torn into the Swedish bevy and the duty freeze. So we arrived at the airport, and we were due to arrive back in Dice. I'm sure it was around about half an hour before the team. It was just before the team were due back in. So we had a couple of guys. Remember those big Adidas puffer jackets that Fergie and Archie used to wear? Mm-hmm. They were actually wearing that night. A couple of the guys in the flight had them. So our, pl- our cunning plan was when we stopped at Dice, we were going to put them off first. So they thought it was the team arriving and we'd get a big cheer. But sadly, our flight was delayed for about four hours. So we didn't get back in until, I think it was about tea time, about five, six o'clock at night before we got back. So that was the only slightly disappointing aspect of it because I think arriving back in time for the parade and, the big welcome at Dice would have just been superb. But yeah. Kind of Mike, a, uh, Mike, did you, there was a game on the Saturday, because I don't know if you remember, we played Hibs. 5 now. We, we, we could actually still have won the league, although Dundee beat, sorry, Dundee United beat Dundee. So, And then there was the, the cup final as well. So, Mike, were you at the cup final the week after? I was at the cup final, yeah. It wasn't uh, a great performance, but we won. So. I know. Uh, no, like I said, I mean, the, the, we went there and the, the just confidence was just so high. I've never, as I've never really known that kind of confidence since, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was just you were there, you knew you were going to win. That was it. End of story. There was no defeat in the in the minds at all. And uh, yeah, Kendall, this summing up. I mean, did you? I mean, did the, the enormity of the success? Did you appreciate what was going on at the time or not? Or as it as the years have gone by, it's become bigger or not? I, I would say up to a point we did because it was a European final. It was Real Madrid and that was still there. But as I said earlier, at that time, we were just so used to winning. We kind of thought this is never going to end. You know, the, the, the folly of youth, you know, 19-year-old. You think it's going to go on forever. And sadly, of course, that was not to be. But... Uh, I do think there was something, I, I do remember thinking, yeah, this is, we're not going to see many days like this, I don't think, but we're just so confident in the way the club was going at that time that there was always this kind of youthful, yeah, this will carry on for a bit yet. And up to a point it did, I suppose, but sadly things changed. Yeah. For, for me, for me, I don't think I appreciated it as much as I should have done, not realising it was probably going to be maybe the only European trophy uh, I would see Aberdeen win. But the best thing was living in calendar, it was all Rangers and Celtic orientated there. So it was proud to go down with your scarf or your top on. 
exactly have something that you can say, we've done it now. I've seen it, you've not, to all my friends. Yeah. And that was probably the most enjoyable part of that. Guys, just summing up, Ken, what was your, your favourite memory of the, of the trip? Oh, that's a hard one to pin down. I think it probably was meeting all the guys afterwards, because I remember, I mean, when Fergie came out with a trophy, I actually got a hold of the handle and held it up with him very briefly. But of course, there was security people got involved in that quite quick. I think that was probably the favourite part, and that was when it all really sunk in that, you know, we've, we've done it, you know, because the game itself, it's a, it's a flurry of emotion, it's a bounce, it's, you know, it's a game, it's a sing-song. But afterwards, you know, the, the dust settle and you're seeing the boys, you're seeing how much it meant to them, you know, and Fergie, who was just a god at that time, and well, still is, and you saw how much it meant to him to win a European trophy. And that that's, I think that was when, seeing earlier on about grasping truly what we'd achieved and seeing how much it meant to people like that and to, like the manager, like the players, like your Willie Millers, Gordon Strachan, mm-hmm. guys like that, seeing how important an achievement it was for them. That that kind of, that yeah, that, that was probably my favourite bit because that was the realisation that we've just done something pretty big. Something that nobody's done since, beating Real Madrid in a European final. That's still the last. Mike, what was your favourite memory, apart from meeting this biggest football team? <laughs> my favourite memory? My favourite memory is probably meeting the women's football team, I think. You know? <laughs> you can't meet that 18-year-old. But, um, <laughs> no, I think, I think the camaraderie and everything like that, you know, um, just the build-up, uh, the excitement, and the the, the, the the glory feeling of, of winning the trophy and seeing that happen uh, was just fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was just the the, the, the oozy confidence that we had, um, which I've not seen very many times since, but um, it was just fantastic. And being with my pet, my father, uh, was, was, you know, it's a memory I'll be able to keep that forever. And I still have to pay him back, as I say. <laughs> You better okay. hope you can ask for interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, guys, both of you can say you were there. Um, fantastic memories that you'll, I'm sure, treasure forever. And thank you very much for sharing them with us. Thanks, Mark. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. Kevin, we'll come on to Gothenburg, the final, the trip on the famous boat in a minute. But just before that, how many of the, the games leading up to the final did you go to, away games? Yeah, I was at them all, um, with the exception of um, Dynamo Tirana. Uh, at that time, Albania was um, quite a different country from what it is now, so it was near on impossible to get to get to, to Tirana. Their only outlet was uh, an embassy in Paris. Now, I remember Ian Target, the secretary, told us at the time that your only application would have to go through them, but he says it was going to be futile, so uh, unfortunately we had to give it a miss. We did send in a, a visa application, but it's quite um, a bit rude um, on that basis. <laughs> when the, uh, um, we had no chance of getting in. Um, I think, uh, memory serves, I think it was only about 30 of our party got in, and that was including the players, journalists. There was only about four journalists got in. Uh, so, yeah, that was the only one I missed. Was it all the others? See you on. Bosnian, Munich, uh, Watershine, of course, the final. What was um, 
What was Munich like? I mean, going there, Kev, was there a feeling? Because, I mean, you look at the quarterfinal lineup, right? You had Bayern Munich, PSG, Watershy, Austria Vienna, Barcelona, who had Maradona playing for them, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, and Aberdeen. So, was there a feeling when you got to the quarterfinals and played Bayern, well, this is as far as we're going to go? Or was there a belief they could, amongst the fans, that we, you could win? I think at first, when the draw was made, you know, I remember there was huge excitement uh, when the draw was made. And you've got to remember there was <clears throat> quite a long delay between the draw and the actual, because we were then in the March, you know, we're well past the Christmas period. Resumption the European games in March, and that's when the Bayern game was. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, there was a, you know, at first we thought, Munich, this is going to be, you know, this could be it. But, you know, the closer we got to the game, and of course, Fergie, Fergie was was at his best. He, he he knew we had a great chance. He was a great admirer of German football. Um, the technical ability, the whole professionalism, the whole organisation, you know, he modelled a lot of Aberdeen teams on that, on that belief. But the closer we got to the game, you know, we just thought, yeah, we've got a chance. Of course we'll have. Um, because we always knew that um, if we could get a result there, that the, the you know the, the impossible task was very much on. What was the um, what was the old Olympic Stadium like? Um, very, very large, quite an mm-hmm. imposing place. It was. Um, I remember it um, when I was younger, of course, with the, the Munich Olympics. Mm-hmm. And what happened there? Um, so it was a very much an iconic stadium. It was vast, bowl-like place. Um, wasn't all covered. Um, the seating, part of the seating, was a bit bench-like. It was a bit like the old South Terrace of Petrodry, but the rest of it was um, was mightily impressive. It was just a huge arena, um, and where. We were based, and, and the ground was quite a bit away from it. I think it was about 1,500 Aberdeen there that night. And, of course, the home leg, I mean, Kev, you've been watching the Dons for an awful lot of years, been a lot of games. Is it, do, do you say Bayern in the home game was the, the greatest ever, I mean, for atmosphere at Petaudry? Um For atmosphere, it's right up there. I would say it's in the top three or four. Um mm-hmm. If you're talking atmosphere, I would maybe point towards the Dun United game in 1995. Okay. Um, the atmosphere was different because it was very much a survival gig. Mm-hmm. Back in the, the Munich, it was just more euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the actual belief we actually beat them. Um, mm-hmm. the, the final 15 minutes, um, still, uh, it, it feels like 90 to be honest. <laughs> uh, every second was passing. And in those days, you'd know there was no scoreboards, no countdown, there was no uh, additional minute it's flagged up. You just had to wait for that referee to blow the whistle. So nobody really knew how long he was going to add. You know, there was very much um, a lot of unknowns with that. And it just sort of dragged on and it seemed to go on forever. Um, but when the final whistle got blue, it was just uh, it was just like an outpouring. I've never experienced uh, like that at any game in Gothenburg itself. And what was the night like in Aberdeen? Um, 
actually it was uh, it was we we walked up uh, as we'd always did walk back up Merkland Road up King Street um, we headed to the bars after the game a lot of the bars in Aberdeen at that time got late licences that night um, it was quite quite common that some would get late licences up until one o'clock when the big Aberdeen games were on um, and I seem to remember uh, I'm sure Simi and Doug Bell were in the bar before us <laughs> and then with the, the, the semi-final um, which is sometimes gets overlooked a wee bit Kev doesn't it because maybe Watershine weren't the biggest name but they were, they were a good side they were beating some good teams to get there uh, I mean, just an incredible performance, wasn't it? But the fact we beat them 5-1, everybody must then have decided, well, we're going to the final. Is, it, is that, you know, it, it gave people longer time to plan. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, the 5-1 result was right up here. It's probably one of our best ever results. And like you say, it is overlooked because what I were, they were a tidy team uh, and they put out PSG in the quarterfinals. So, by all accounts, they were no. Um, and I remember um, Archie Knox did go over and watch them before we played them. And he said they were very organised, very slick, a couple of good lads up front, very dangerous. No, a tough, tough tie. Um, but to be honest, uh, the first sort of 10 minutes at Petaudry, again, the atmosphere um, was a classic European night. We just blew them away. Uh, and they just couldn't, they never recovered from that. Um, I remember Simi just bursting through that defence, melted them, totally took them apart. Um, fantastic goal. We've got two goal, early goals and they never recovered. Um, so, yeah, 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 it was it was a very much an overlook. But you're right, the 5 1, we knew, you know, Fergie always told anybody would listen that he would take any Aberdeen team to any place in the world with a two-goal lead and we wouldn't give it up. Of course, you, you, I know you were over in Belgium for the, the second leg. Tell me about the build-up to the final. I mean, there must be huge excitement. How did you, obviously, you decided you were going. How did you decide how you were going to get there? Because obviously there was various options, a lot of charter planes, wasn't there, out of days? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, we was actually in Belgium in the second leg, um, and I remember um, I phoned my father on the next morning mm-hmm. um, and asked him to book um, my berth on the St. Clair um, because I had to be in for the Friday. That was a Thursday morning. Um, so the time I got back to Aberdeen, he said, right, son, here you go. Is your berth booked? Uh, and it's all paid for uh, as a wee gift for you. Um, my father knew a lot of people on the St. Clair because he used to work there. Um, he worked there and that's where he met my mother um, <laughs> when he worked. So I'd been on the St. Clair uh, numerous times before uh, going to Shetland where my mother hailed from. So the St. Clair was nothing new to me. I knew exactly where it was. I knew what it was all about. Um, and I knew exactly what to expect. Um, um Unfortunately, a lot of my friends and mates that come with me, it was the first time on a ferry line, and that was quite... Um, I did warn them, but hey, well, yeah. <laughs> OK, so you're on the ship going out there. Um, tell us a wee bit about what was it. I mean, and there was 500 people, Kev, is that right? And it was just, obviously, yeah. all just Aberdeen fans. 
Um, there was actually um, a certain member which was quite, uh, it always stuck in my head. There was a lot of Shetland Aberdeen supporters came down. They actually came down to Aberdeen on the ferry. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we're, we're away to Gothenburg. 27 hour trip. Um, so we left on the uh, one o'clock on the Monday. That's when we left. Um, there was huge crowds at Keyside which I'd never experienced before, uh, 500 on board. Um, it was quite. A, it was a couple of reporters as well. Ian Archer was there, so I got talking with him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it, yeah, there was. Uh, it was. It was a one-off, and it was. This was uncharted territory for, for Aberdeen to be. Um, I, f- I found it uh, quite ironic that I'm going to see Aberdeen the European final on the, on the ferry that I used to get the school holidays with. You know, it was quite- <laughs> It was quite, quite strange. Um, but like I say, it was not an unknown to me, but uh, it was just um, it was just a huge celebration for that trip. Uh, and to be honest, uh, there was a lot of drink. Um, that goes without saying. Uh, the lounge, the main lounge was turned into uh, probably the first karaoke I've ever heard. But yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, quite something. And, I mean, so you're basically on the boat for a week, Kev, is that right? You're basically Monday to Friday uh, with, a game in, with a game in between. So it was just a, I mean, it, it became known as the booze cruise, is that right? I mean, they ran out of beer at one point, didn't they? Uh, they did in the way back. Um, but uh, to be fair, um, to be fair to our friends at the, at the Evening Express, actually, they, they commissioned a helicopter to um, bring on all their the special papers that was done when the Dons came back uh, and on top of that was much crates of beer as well. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we did run out. Um, it was quite ironic. We, we didn't we didn't go up and up to the bar and buy a round of drinks. You just bought a crate of beer. That's <laughs> it. So it was 20 of us and 20 crates of beer. There is a photo somewhere with all this beer and stuff behind us. So yeah, it was a booze cruise, but in, in many ways, it was a very, um, very happy. Um, I think Eric Turner, who was the top guy at P&O Ferries at the time, who I used to know because he was involved with the amateur football, and mm-hmm. um, he said something about there was one light bulb broken in the whole week. Um, when you think about it, 500 dandies on a boat, we all manners and means of getting alcohol and. Everything else, it was uh, it was quite quite astonishing. So when you arrived in Gothenburg, I mean, you arrived the night before, is that right? Tuesday um, night, yeah. And then uh, the docks. So yeah. when was the first? I mean, did you go to the? Was it the next day? Wednesday, you went to the, into the city because I mean, it must have been quite a distance, was it, from the boat to the city? Yeah, it was a fair bit. Um, we actually on the Tuesday night we went round the harbour area um, and looked up uh, a few of the bars. Uh, and it was it was it was raining then. It began to rain on the Tuesday night, and I think it rained right through to the kickoff on the on, on the Wednesday. But yeah, it was uh, Gothenburg was uh, a very welcoming place. It was um, the Swede the Swedish people were great, um, but we just uh, we didn't go near the stadium until actual Wednesday before the game. So we got there about I think about two hours before kickoff. Um, there was a fountain outside the levee at 
kind of stuck in my mind because that was always going to be uh, that was always going to be a target. <laughs> yeah, we'll come to that after the game. Uh, I mean, one, one of the notes I always hear that the beer it was fairly expensive city. I think it still is, isn't it? But back then, I mean, the beer was not cheap. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was very expensive. But you know, it was a one-off, so I don't. To be honest, I don't think nobody really sort of cared that much. Um, on the day of the game, um, there was so many Aberdeen fans going about, and of course the Swedes were. Swedes were lapping it up because they, to be fair to them, I don't think they did much finals, um, big finals there before. Um, and if I remember, the Levy was it was the twenty fifth anniversary of that stadium, and that's why they got the final. So it was quite they were quite unfamiliar with probably fifteen thousand hairy chested Scots and a few uh, Spaniards coming through and invading their, their nice city. Um, but there was no trouble. There was no. There was no bother. You know, it was a great atmosphere. It was a party. Um, you know, and I've always said that win, lose, or draw, we're going to make a party of this regardless. So you start going to the ground in the afternoon. Where about did you stand inside the ground? Um, if you think on when Johnny Hewitt when he scored, we were diagonally just behind that goal to the left hand side. So we probably had as good a, a view of the goal as any. Um, and you knew when that cross came over, it was in the angle we had. Um, we also had the, the, probably the, the best angle of that uh, free kick at the end. Willie took a glad out and it was retaken. Um, and Jim Leighton swears that it was going past. Um, I'm sure it took some woodwork with it. Yeah, I mean it's funny stuff. Even when you watch it back in TV stuff, I've got it's going to go in. It's going to go in. <laughs> was it? I mean, fortunately, because the weather, I think, put a lot of the Swedes off from going in. A lot of the neutrals. But I mean, was there many Real Madrid fans? Um, I think it was about fifteen hundred, and they were quite a bit away from us, which um, you probably detracted a bit from the atmosphere. And as you see, a lot of the the locals um, didn't turn up due to the horrendous weather, but. There was quite a number of them, um, and where the bulk of the Aberdeen support was behind behind the goal and sort of towards the middle, and the, the Madrid fans were at this other end, so there was quite a gap because it's quite a large stadium. Um, so we barely, to be honest, we barely heard them all night. Um, uh, in terms of uh, sort of taking over a stadium, uh, there was only it was it was us all the way. Yeah, apart from the guy with the big drum. But. Yeah, uh, we can never get, we can never find him. <laughs> there was a few search parties put out, but no luck. So okay, winning the game. I mean, afterwards it must have just been absolute bedlam. What, what did you do after the game? Did you? Uh, I, mean, I think a lot of people went to the fountain, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we were in it. Um, there was just, uh, it was just unbridled joy, uh, and, and I think once. Immediately, during the game, we always knew we could beat them. And, we, and you know, when you go through a game, we were a better side. And, and you know, and you turn and think, you say, right, Aberdeen's a better side against Real Madrid than 120 minutes of European competitive football. It's quite, quite, quite astonishing. Um, but they, they, they were a side pack with as good a players anywhere in Europe. 
but you know we just we just had them at the measure them. But yeah, at the end of the game, it was just you know the final whistle went. Um, I think I burst out of tears. But my mates, it was with us. We were all the same. You know, we were just hugging and just uh, falling downstairs and all sorts of stuff. Um, and we went outside. Most of Aberdeen support was just sort of milling about the area and just absolutely, you know, just creating. Not havoc, but absolutely just couldn't believe it. But, you know, we're on reflection when you thought back and then we were thinking about it on the way home. We deserved that big thing. The, um, the, the boat, I think you guys had to be back by midnight, is that right? That's right. Because, so <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you would probably rather have stayed in the Gothenburg all evening. I, mean, I think there's some great stories of some of the parties and the nightclubs and things. But So you had to be back by 12. Did somebody count you all on at the ship or not? Or was it just leave it there anyway? I believe so, but I think they lost count. Uh, and I think they kind of gave up. Um, I think nowadays you would probably have a lot more um, sort of ease of access. And at that time there was no... Like you say, if you wanted to come, you'd have to get a head count physically. Um, there was no uh, digital stuff around like that. So yeah, um, I think we just took it on it. Yeah, took it in world. Yeah, everybody's on. Let's go. You know, um, and I remember the the, the stairway getting hauled up and that, and it was just uh, you know, it's great. I think I don't think MD was really stunned. I think it was just you know. Um, disbelief for a while until it actually sunk in, you know. Um, but yeah, I went to be back for 12, but uh, there was no beds. Everybody was up all night. So so basically a week on that boat, you didn't sleep at all? No. Or very rarely? Well, like I say, my father, when he, he knew um, it, you, you know, normally the Shetland flight, the Shetland, sorry, the Shetland um, journeys was about 12 hours. This was 27. So he knew he's so that's why he got my first class berth. I never um I was never out for more than twenty minutes. So because we were just up and partying and and everybody sort of congregated on the in the lounge, which was a huge area. Uh, and it was just a case of we just took a turn and singing and singing all Aberdeen songs and some new ones as well. So yeah, it was uh, never never slept, no. And I mean, was there any entertainment? Because there's obviously different decks in that, Kev, wasn't there? I mean, did they put entertainment on, or did they? I mean, I think there was a rerun of the game, wasn't there? Coming back, somebody managed to take the game or something. Yeah, there was, there was, um, but there was no, um, there was no real entertainment laid on. Uh, we made our own. There was a stage, so everybody just took a turns and uh, getting up and loving a song, and of course everybody joined in. Uh, like I say, it was it was probably first karaoke I'd ever saw. Improvised karaoke, shall we say? But yeah, it was. Uh, there was no need to lay on entertainment. Entertainment was was there. We we created that ourselves. Twenty seven hours coming back, Kev, must have been. <laughs> did it feel quite long towards the end or not? Well, yeah. Look, I remember waking up because I did actually in a long chat with Ian Archer. Um, who was writing, I think, for the Sunday Standard at that time, so long ago it was. Um, and we were talking about, you know, football in general and all sorts of stuff. And we just talked the whole night. Um, I even went on about his beloved Park Thistle, and I think I named nine 
you know, the 11 team that won the 71, and he sort of, right, we're talking football. <laughs> um, and I seem to remember somebody opened a blind, because we was in the lounge, uh, somebody opened a blind and the sun was rising, that was it, I better get up. So we had a couple of hours, and that was about it, really. Um, of course, by that time, the team was back in Aberdeen, and, you know, if there was one thing that we did miss, and that was the team's return to the city, um, you know, but in, in many ways, if you, if, you, if you gave me a choice, it's no contest. It would be the, the uh, Sinclair every time, because it was five days, absolute um, unbridled joy, really. But to, I mean, as you say, you, you missed the parade on the Thursday, but I thought it was, it was obviously a great touch by Fergie and Mark McGee um, to take the cup along, didn't, you know, to meet you guys coming off the boat. And I think the student t- took photos and shook hands with every single person that came off the boat. Yeah, they did. Um, I, I did hear a story that Mark McGee got the short straw to come down to St. Clair because everybody's had uh, one hell of a hangover. But yeah, that was the way it goes. Um, but yeah, um, I, I always stick out with Fergie always had that uh, iconic Adidas jacket uh, and Mark had the, the sort of Pringle uh, Adidas type uh, jumper. Um, it was always, that was all the, the sort of sports fashion at the time. It always stuck with me. But yeah, they were great. Um, they turned up with the cup. Um, we were, you know, we were there. They are taking photographs, shaking hands. It must have taken a couple of hours, if I remember. Uh, but yeah, it was a great way to return. Didn't expect it. Didn't know it was happening. And of course, we sort of docked back at Aberdeen and we just thought, uh, right, where do we go now? Then, of course, they turned up. Then um, yeah. the party started all over again. <laughs> was it a game on the It was a home game on the Saturday, was it? Uh, Hibernian, yeah. Um, that. That was on the, the Saturday, yeah, but because potentially we could have still won the league. Mm-hmm. Although it was a long shot, we had to wait for um, Dundee United to slip up at Dens Park. And, we'd, you know, we always thought that was never really going to happen. Um, but if they did, and we had beat Hibernian, which we did, um, we would have won the league that day. Um, but it wasn't to be. And to be honest, we just thought, you know, Scottish Cup finals the following week. We've just won a European trophy. You know, even, even it might be hard to say, the league just didn't sort of come into it. Um, because of the European success, it was it was everything. And of course, Wally took the cup on um, after the game, uh, after the Hibernian game, again, 20,000 full house. Um, you know, it was, just, it was just a great, great period. Yeah, you say, I mean, because we had to beat Hibs for quite a few goals, and we beat them five nil as we did in nineteen eighty as well. Um, but uh, I mean, the Dundee Dundee United game was closer than I think people thought it was going to be. But obviously, United managed to, to hang on, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, and to be fair, you know, I've always said and I've written it in some of the books that that Dundee United were perhaps fortunate that if we we were so involved in the European Cup Winners Cup and the Scottish Cup, which they um, that if we, you know, if we weren't so heavily involved with that commitment, we would have taken the league, and I still firmly believe that. But I'm not taking anything away from because uh, they were they were a great adversary for for Aberdeen at that time, more so than Celtic and certainly Rangers were at that time. Um, but you know, 
uh, I remember some of the games we played in the, in the build-up with the European ties. We played Tuesday night, played Thursday night, played Saturday. You know, it'd be absolutely unheard of now. But given what's happening here these days, you know, that might come in the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, just summing up, I mean, the enormity of the success obviously gets bigger and bigger every season. Um, but, I mean, could you take it in at the time what was going on? Um, yeah, we did because I remember we first, no, we first thought we first thought we had a chart on the way home on the St Clair, and we thought could anything top this? Um, and we thought not really because it's the first time, you know, it's the first time you you win a major European trophy and you think, well, okay, maybe the European Cup. I think I oh, will have a stab at it next year or the year after, you know. Just depending on the league, which was always going to happen. It was just an acceptance. Um, you know, and Fergie had a lot to do with that, with the, with the belief he instilled, not only in the, the players, but the fans as well. You know, everybody bought into it, and, you know, who was going to doubt him? So, be honest, Kev, did you book a place in the final in 84? Yeah, I did. Um, did, the did final, you? Yeah, I did. Uh, we. Um, I was at Porto in the first leg um, when we actually, we took a right battering and they only managed one goal and I thought we've got to do this. Because I knew, you know, in the return leg at Pretoria, a full house, what what we did in European games, we were with, I mean, don't get get me wrong, Porto were an exceptional team, but so were we. Um, You've got to remember the last four, Aberdeen, Porto, Manchester United and Juventus, we were the favourites. To, to be, we were favourites to become the first team ever to retain a Cup Winners Cup. Incredible when you think of the quality we were up against. But that was the stature of the team at the time. And yeah, of course we, of course we believe we could turn around a one 0 deficit. Um, we've done it. We've done it against uh, UPS Doza in the quarterfinals. It was a two goal deficit. Turned that you know, on a big. You need a big performance, but unfortunately on the night, as you know, we just we just it just didn't go our way. You know, we missed chances, chances that we'd normally put away. Um, it just seemed a bit flat the whole evening, and it just just wasn't our night. But yeah, going back to your thing, I did book a hotel in Bern, and ended up giving it away to somebody. But, um, yeah, because we were looking at an Aberdeen Man United final. And we all knew that if that was going to happen, we'd win that. And of course, the following year, we um, eighty five, we got through to the quarterfinals of the European Cup, um, and sadly beaten by Gothenburg. Did you go back to Gothenburg or not? Yeah, I was at the return game. Um, that, that you know that night, uh, the Petordi leg. Um, I see, remember some of the Swedish prime minister or something like that was. Uh, and that sort of, that sort of steeled them against us, um, but they were a good side, very athletic, very quick, pacey team. Um, but we we should have um, we should have won the first game here. And if we'd done that, we would have, would have went through um, because we're more than held our own in the return. You know, it was great to go back to a levy, hadn't changed a bit. Um, but on this occasion, of course, we were outnumbered. Support-wise, uh, so the atmosphere was very different from the final. Um, but nil-nil, you know, in any given day, you go to a, a team like Gothenburg away from home, quarter-final European Cup, you take that. 
But on this occasion, we had to score and we just couldn't do it. And to be, you know, they sat in a lot that night. And that was now our style. You know, to break down a team away from home in Europe was very difficult. You know, you go back to uh, what we talked about, the Bayern Munich game away. Um, probably, I mean, that was a Fergie masterclass in t- tactics, you know. And because there's admiration for German football, on that night, we, we, we more than matched it. We should have won the game. But yeah, the Gothenburg tie was, was a tough one. You know, we were up against it because we we conceded that two goals at Petordi, so it's always got to be a big ask. Yeah, I mean, it's fair though, if you look at back at their team, the Gothenburg team, I mean, it was pretty much the Swedish national team who then went on and did very well, so I mean, I, I think it, it was no, no disgrace getting beaten with them. Kev, great memories though, I'm sure, I'm sure you must treasure forever, um, and you're one of the fortunate ones, you can see that you were there. Yeah, that it's always stuck with me. Um, I think every passing year goes that there's more and more recollections of it, and yeah, I feel um, I feel very privileged to be um, to go through that and witness all these games. You know, at a time when um, you know, at a time we were going to places like Munich and and, and Budapest and. Hamburg and all these places, and expect it to come away with a result. You know, nowadays, you know, it's just, it's just, it's changed a lot, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, I feel very privileged to be at that, uh, to to watch such a great team, um, and to experience actually win the European Trophy because I think it's something that, you know, um, circumstances and more than football just taken away from clubs like Aberdeen that that will really find it impossible to, to get to that level again. KF Superb. Thank Hello, you. this is international football commentator Derek Ray. And I'd like to give a big shout out to Aberdeen Football Club and their community trust for all the amazing work they're doing currently for the North East in delivering food parcels to those who really need them. Now, you can help in a couple of ways. First of all, consider donating to CFIME, that's Community Food Initiatives Northeast. Or how about this idea? The money that you would normally set aside for football, consider donating to the Aberdeen FC Community Trust's Just Giving page. Aberdeen, throughout this global pandemic, still standing free. One hundred and seventeen years of AFC with Pitaudry, our fortress just off the North Sea. From black and gold, our colours of old, to red with pinstripe on our most famous night. And Hewitt waiting in the middle. Hewitt, I can't honestly just hit me. But Gothenburg glory is not the whole story. Dawn awaits passion and pride as we support the community that has stood by our side. Once again, the Red Army answering the call to support club and community through it all. As for the future, who knows what might be. What's for sure is we're still standing free.
With a new contract in the bag, house buddies Connor Barron and Ethan Ross caught up with Mal last week. Right, guys, great to see you both. How how, how are you getting on? How are you getting on living together? Hi, it's good, yeah. Um, a wee bit before the lockdown happened, we'd spoke to each other and we thought it's probably the best for the both of us just to go together, work together in the running and the football side of things. So, aye, it keeps us going. Okay, so you weren't living together before, but you obviously recognised what was going to happen with the lockdown and decided it'd be a good idea for the two of you to be together, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we knew obviously that the lockdown was probably going to be coming, so um, obviously spoke to my family and that and thought it'd be best if Connor could stay around with uh, with us and that would help us to train together, you know, just give us that extra bit of motivation. Um, so we've been training together um, every day and that's helped us a lot, I think. Okay. Connor, tell us, what's, what's a typical day like? I mean, do you do your, your ex- running stuff and that in the morning, the, the programme you've got? Yeah, well, we've got a plan from Paddy to do. Um, we get a weekly plan, so we'll normally wake up about 10 o'clock, go out and do a run, and we'll come back, have our lunch, and do some gym about 2 o'clock-ish, and then um, we'll probably go out in the astro most days, um, and then maybe a cycle at night, but yeah, it's decent. Okay. But are you, are you helping each other? Do you help motivate each other to do stuff? Is that right? I uh, definitely. When one of us are just feeling a bit like down and that we don't really want to do it, and the next person's pushing them on, um, doing some gym and stuff. If one person's doing it, the next person you just work together to make sure we're both doing it, and push each other on. Yeah. And Ethan, I know the two of you. How much time you spend on the training pitch, practicing your free kicks? Yeah, penalty is that type of thing. Have you been able to do that in the back garden or not? Aye, yeah. Um, yeah, every day we, we finish it with free kick practice. I have to say, I've been beating them most days. But um, <laughs> nah, nah, we do, we've been working on, uh, we've tried to take this opportunity we've got. Obviously, it's an unfortunate situation we're in where we can't walk the training and that. But we've been trying to use it to work on bits of our game that we don't feel are, or that we feel that can be improved. So um, we're just trying to keep on top of things and keep going. And who's doing the cooking? Um, I'm hopeless in the kitchen. <laughs> no, I, I'm 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 all right. I've had a bit of experience when I've been down um, in Dunfermline in my flat, so, uh, uh-huh. so yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I can get it's decent. It's decent to be fair. It's caught a bit. And who who decides who you watch on TV? Who's 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 got the remote control? <laughs> it's definitely me. Uh, eh? It's definitely me. He tries to change it or something. I'm like, no, not going to that. My house. Guys, I just talked to you. I mean, you, you both had fantastic seasons again. Um, and Connor, we should mention at this point, you, you've just signed a new contract. I mean, I think you basically signed it a couple of days before the lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so I never got a chance to see you. So first of all, congratulations. Tell us a wee bit about that, will you? Yeah, thank you, Mal. Um, well, I got offered it around about Christmas time, just before maybe. And um, I am happy to get it signed and stuff now, but obviously the circumstances aren't the greatest. As obviously the lockdown and the coronavirus and stuff has kind of stopped me from going on with the season and carrying on where I, where I um, was. So um, I, it's good. Hopefully the next two years I can really push on and get to where I want to be. Well done, two-year deal. Just uh, I think reward corner for all the, the hard work you've put in over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I was buzzing when I got offered it and stuff, so I hopefully it continues. Yeah, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the team in a minute, but for you personally, it's been a fantastic season, hasn't it? Um, how many goals have you scored? 
I don't know. I think it was 12 or 13 when we finished. How many pounds? How many pounds? 11 pounds. <laughs> 10 pounds, maybe. <laughs> we'll take them. Take them. Um, I know the season, we're going great, to be fair. We've, we, I think we'd only lost one game before we stopped. That was against Rangers, which we weren't really up to it, to be honest. But um, we're in the cup final as well, the Youth Cup. So um, I were doing well. We're unbeaten, except from the one yeah, game. I mean- yeah, because as you say, I think the 17 wins, one draw and one loss, um, I mean, an incredible record. I mean, that must be real frustration if you don't get the chance to finish the season. The only hope is, I mean, surely that there will be an opportunity to play the, the Youth Cup final at some point. Yeah, definitely. I think we need to, to be fair. It would be brilliant. I hope we've got a chance for the double as well. So um, hopefully it does continue, but we don't know what's going to happen, I suppose. So we'll just have to wait and see. We've got a good chance, though. So. No, absolutely. And the semi-final win over Rangers was a, a big moment. And, you know, yes, to say, we, we should get the chance, hopefully, to, to play the final. Ethan, how we word on Connor. He's done well, hasn't he? Aye, he's done all right. Like, I've been, I tried to come and watch his games as much as I could have, but um, no, he, he was definitely, when I've watched him, he's been the best player that's um, been on the park every game. And I think he's fully deserved the contract he's been given. Um, and now he knows he just needs to push on these next two years. And, and he can get to anywhere he wants to be. Yeah. Ethan, just in your season, I mean, it's another great year for you. I mean, you've been involved with the first team, the reserves, obviously they've been at Scotland, and more recently with Dunfermline on loan. How's that going? Um, Dunfermline loan was, was really good. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, we don't know what's happening now. It's not looking likely that the championship or lower is going to continue, but um, it's still up in the air. So... No, I really enjoyed it. I felt like I developed a lot as a player. Um, championship was a tough league. It's obviously, it, everything's about winning games. And um, we'd gone through a couple of spells of winning games and a couple of losing as well. So I've seen both ends of it. And um, I think it's been a great experience for me. I loved every minute of it. The boys were brilliant with me. And um, I'm, I'm ready to come back as soon as I know what's happening. I'm ready to come back and push on with Aberdeen. Yeah. And like with Connor, it's frustrating for you, Ethan, because Dunfermline had a real chance for the playoffs, didn't they? I mean, you were coming into a bit of form, weren't you? Uh, yeah, it's, all the boys have been speaking about it in the Dunfermline chat. You know, um, should the season have carried on, we felt we were in a great position to go and get into those playoffs and then who knows what would have happened in the playoffs. It's just a real shame around what's happening, obviously. Safety first for everyone in the, in the world, to be fair, but um, it's a really difficult time for everyone in football. But I mean, you, you had a good win over Dundee United as well, didn't you? I think you were involved with that game. Yeah, 2-0 win, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I started that game and came off, I think, 10 minutes to go with a bit of cramp or something. <laughs> 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 playing those school games, you know. Uh, <laughs> that was a great win for us and a great win for the club. Um, obviously, Dundee United ran away with it a bit in the league, but um, that was a great game to be involved in. The place was packed and a great result. Actually, great. From that game as well. What was I saying? Managed to get down to that game as well. Watch him. Uh-huh. It was good when I. How, how, how did he play? How did he play? He was decent. I. He was playing left back for a wee bit. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> because uh, the left back got injured, but no, he was played well. well that's good to hear. Uh, Ethan, did we word on Stevie Crawford, um, who Aberdeen fans will know? Somebody I've got a lot of time for. What's he like as a manager? Uh, that guy. Uh, Stevie's been great for me. To be fair, Crawford is. Uh, a really great guy. He's a great um, kind of like people's person. Great like man management. Um, I've, he's really helped me develop certain parts of my game, like my defensive side, which I know personally wasn't my best. 
and him and all the to be fair all the staff have been great with me even like the reserve coach and the assistant manager they've, they've all been brilliant with me and helped me develop heaps but I have a lot of time for Stevie Crawford yeah and Con I, I must mention Barry Robson as well he, he's, he's done a great job with it with your guys this season yeah definitely I think it's been a massive change from the past 18 seasons and 17s we've had He's came in and really installed a style of play and um, attitude and willing to work and everything. He's really just brought the standards, to be fair. Um, and it's really showed this season, especially in training. The, the differences we've had, it's been a lot more intense. We've had a lot more double sessions and stuff, really just getting the most out of us. And um, it's shown the season so far. Yeah. And he, he probably still joins in training as well. He still plays a bit, does he? I does. think he's still got a bit. <laughs> no, it's been good for me as well. Um, personally, he's been taking me in quite a lot, and because he's playing in my position, he's goes over games and bits of my games that I think I can get better on, which has really helped me. Yeah, been good. Guys, I've asked you, you. You've both scored some some fantastic goals this season. Okay, Ethan, some of your free kicks and that. If you had to pick a favourite one, what would it be? For me, my hat trick against Celtic. Hat trick offence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got to be. Aye. Um, for me, I'm still waiting for my first professional goal. To be fair, but I'd have to say favorite goal of the season would be my uh, either my free kick against Huddersfield or I scored a goal for Scotland against Japan. That was that was all right. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I thought your your goal against Huddersfield was there that day. That was a fantastic free kick. You could just tell me a bit about Scotland. I mean, again, just great experience for you at your age, isn't it? To just it's all part of the learning curve. Just playing against different players and you know maybe higher standard as well. Yeah, um, obviously going away, you're playing against the best players at your age in those countries, so it's it's great experience. And um, I think we had a really good team this year, and, and we've done really well. Obviously, we're away to go to the second round of qualifiers for the Euros, and that obviously just got cancelled before all this lockdown. So it's a real shame that I got cancelled we had a real good team and um, I think we could have gone and gotten into the Euros but um, again great experience good to get away it's obviously a different style of play that they play with them and um, it's all about learning so it was brilliant Connor as well I was going to ask you about your final game of the season the, the, the game game against Hibs which it seems a long time ago now but what, well, you're 4-2 down or something with 10 minutes to go Hibs, all right. Um, yeah, we didn't start... I mean, how, how are you 4-2 down? <laughs> <What happened? laughs> no, we had some sloppy goals that day, individual errors and stuff. Um, but that's what I'm saying. That's one of the massive things that's changed this season. Baz has brought into us just that never stops or attitude to have. Um, and we always seem to get a goal back late. So we, we always knew that we've got something in us to go get back in this game. And we did. We've shown it. But I thought, Conor, it summed up brilliantly just the spirit you have within that group. You know, there's an awful lot of talented players, but there's a real spirit as well, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I think we've all came together a lot uh, a lot more than what we have before in previous seasons. Um, and as I say, we are just we seem to be showing it on the pitch, so hopefully it continues if it does. Yeah. And Ethan, just a word. I mean, there's a lot of very good young players coming through at the moment. I mean, you two especially. But there is a there is a good group of players coming through together, which I mean, bodes very well for the future of the club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at our reserve team right now, there's a lot of good players in it, and um, that have been challenging to get with the first team. Obviously, myself, uh, so included, 
Connor's obviously in between 18s and reserves. You've got Jack McKenzie who's been pushing. My brother as well, might as well give him a wee mention. Mikey Ruth that's come in. You know, there's a lot of really good talents and um, I think that only holds well for the future of the club. Yeah, no, absolutely. When hopefully we do get back to playing football, which is hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, who's taking the dogs for a walk, Ethan? Is that, is that your duties? That's both of us. Both of ours, both of us, isn't it? I, I roped my long with me. <laughs> <laughs> what type of dogs have you got? Uh, they're cross, cocker, spaniel, labradors. So they're just wee balls of energy. That's Nonst- all right. Non-stop. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been great to speak to you. And it's great to see you. You, you, you know, I thought it was a great idea, the two you getting together, just to help you through, obviously, a, a difficult time. Um, and, and as I say, I'm sure you have helped each other. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's even running, cycling, on the pitch, in the gym, just everything. It's been been brilliant just to have somebody there with you to keep you motivated <laughs> and stuff um, and push each other on. That competitiveness is good. Guys, oh, great stuff. Connor, listen, well done again on your contract. Very much. Ethan, well done. You know, obviously another good season for you and. I so say you've both got a very big future at the club with you, so just keep keep working hard, keep stay, stay safe as well, okay? Cheers, Mark. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. thank you. Look, I've just had a big dinner and it's one in the morning. Do you still enjoy having sex with me? Absolutely, yes. As much as you used to? Yes. Wow. I've seen the film before, so I'm not on the edge of my seat, but it's still my favourite film of all time. You don't have kids? We have actually been trying for kids for a while now. With your complications, conceiving is very unlikely. So what do we do now? A small piece of us dies and we just carry on with whatever's left. All right. Well, as long as we've got a plan. I think I'm ready to talk about adopting. You've got to be careful with adoption. Mel from the club got a rescue dog. Shout everywhere. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. We need to convince people that we're great and they're going to judge us. We should make a list of all the flaws that we want to iron out. You drink too much. You should stop smoking. You need to get stronger emotionally. You need to work on your anger. I think we're going to be amazing parents. It is not a test. I am on your side. This is about preparing you for panel. So, how often would you say you have sex? It's a scary business. My kids are vampires that suck every ounce of energy out of me until I'm nothing but an empty carcass. Other than that, you all right? Yeah. Change. It's a bit scary, but you can't get too attached to what you think your life's going to be. Love you. I love you. Even like this. I love you more like that. Oh, for God's sake. Do you know how what lucky you, you are? They are tiny little miracles. Your 17 Twitter followers can wait. Talk to your children. They're not my children. No, I'm sorry. I'm calling the police. We can't get a criminal record. They won't give us a kid. Sorry, mate. We're not bad people. It's just, it's just very Jason complicated. can watch trying now on Apple TV Plus. This is an update about coronavirus for all of us here in Scotland. To protect ourselves and our NHS, the advice here is staying very much the same. 
This is because the evidence is telling us it's too early to make significant changes. We still need to stay at home. We need more time. And we need you to stick at it for a bit longer. So the only change here in Scotland is that our advice is you can now go outside to exercise near your home more than once a day, as long as you remain in your local area. You should continue to stay two metres apart from others outside your household at all times and always wash your hands when you get home. You're doing a fantastic job of following the rules and it's working. You're saving lives every day. Let's not undo it now. By continuing to stay at home, you're protecting Scotland's NHS and saving lives. A former Dons captain and club stalwart Russell Anderson took time out to speak to Mal as he looked back on his football career. Well, good to see you, mate. First of all, how, how, are, you, how are you coping? How are you and the family doing? We're all fine, thankfully. Uh, safe and well. Um, and just really making the best of what the situation is, to be honest. I think I've said it quite a few times to different people that I think in a way, we're we're fortunate um, where we are. We've um, got everyone safe, well. Um, mm. Like I say, just I'm still working at the moment, which has given me something to uh, fill my days with. Um, and then, other than that, just trying to get out, obviously um, within the the guidelines when you can, um, and trying to stay as fit and healthy as possible. Okay, Ross, we've done many interviews in the past. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we did many, <laughs> many programme notes, but whenever I get to get a proper chance to sit down and look back over your career, okay, so we'll, we'll pick out a few highlights. Just, <laughs> and there, was, there was some great moments, some good nights out as well, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, there were. Um, I don't know which one. I, uh, I mean, it feels like a different life now, to be honest. Yeah. Though. I believe how quickly that the last well, what five years has, has passed since, since yeah. the um, and you don't want to sound like um, some you that's preaching to the younger players, but I always remember some the, the older players saying, "Enjoy your career when when you're young because it'll be over before you know it." And they're totally right, totally right. It just it's going to go by in a flash, um, and even more so now. I think the older I'm getting, uh, the further and further away it feels. Looking back at your, your earliest memories, what do you remember of joining the club? Because the club was very different back then, wasn't it? Yeah, I think every club is different now compared to back then, um, especially the way that the, the youth setup um, is run now compared to back then. Um, you've got teams for every age group, you've got coaches um, for every team, whereas back then there was a a group of players that were basically taken together probably from about 12, 13, 14, just before they would um, offer players S schoolboy forms. Um, so plenty of players in my position that you, you got invited down to Pataudry on a Tuesday just after school and you would end up training for a couple of hours on the, the car park. Um, and the training was from the likes of Drew, Jarvie, Jockey Scott, even Alex Smith, Willie Miller, they were all there. Um, sometimes uh, at the same time, other times it would just be one or two of them. Um, and just with the way that football's gone these days, you would very rarely see um, the first team coaching staff taking the, the, the young kids on a, on a weekly basis. 
Um, I think occasionally you probably would see it down again, even though there is an interest obviously in the academy and how the players are developing. But um, it's it's changed so much uh, over the last well, that'll be 30 years now. Um, it's unrecognisable to be honest. There's a huge amount of money that goes into all the academies now because they're all looking to try and develop their own players for obvious reasons. When you actually came into the club with Ross, I mean, the youth setup was very, the under 18 dressing room was very separate from the first team one, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and that when you came in, that first team dressing room, there were some big characters in there, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, was it quite daunting going anywhere near the first team dressing room? It was. You felt nervous when you got your, your duties as a um, as a ground staff member, either clearing the boots or picking up the first team kit or the, the reserve kit. Um, you did actually feel nervous going into the first team changing room after training was finished. You'd have to go in and pick up all the, the kit. And honestly, you weren't just like a wee boy um, in amongst all those experienced internationalists because there, there was a, it was a big squad back then. They could carry more players. Um, players that had played international football and especially just coming in as a young player. I wasn't the only one. I think everyone felt the same way. That you were, I would say, slightly intimidated to an extent um, just because you were learning the ropes and it was a very different environment. You definitely felt a little bit safer when you went back through to the young boys changing room, definitely. Just, um, which of the players back then, was any of them sort of give you a wee helping hand? Any of them sort of a good influence on you? Um... Trying to think back then, uh, one name kind of springs to mind. I've not seen him in a long time. Paul Kane. Um, Kane was was good uh, with the young boys back then. He, I used to take the Mickey out of you, but he did it in such a way that he did actually he had a genuine interest in in the younger players. And he was at that point where he wasn't perhaps playing in the first team as much, so he was having more exposure to us perhaps with reserve games and uh, training and stuff like that. Um, so probably Kano was one of them, um, and there was other, I mean, Stuart McKinney was the captain at the time, um, and you, you go through big Brian Irvin, um, so there were quite a few well, good characters in the changing room at that time um, that you just basically tried to learn off as much as possible, um, some of them better pros than others. Um, and I suppose it's just like going through your, your career, you'll, you'll pick up bits and pieces along the way, of what you think is probably going to benefit you as a player. Russ, you had to work hard though to get your chance in the first team, didn't you? Because I mean, you said there was a, you're the under 18 squad, you had a big reserve squad as well, which you just don't have now. Uh, or as many, I mean, you had a full dressing room of them as well, didn't you? So you really yeah. had to battle your way and work hard to get your chance. I think the the reserves were were totally different back then. I remember. Um, occasionally playing reserve football on a Saturday when the first team was, was playing um, away from home. We would occasionally get the opportunity, if it was a bigger game, um, to play on Pataudry. Um, a couple of games, I remember going down to Easter Road and playing against the Hibs reserve team um, fairly early on in, in my um, reserve career. And then probably the, the one that stands out was playing against a Rangers team at Pataudry the same day that the first team were playing down at Ibrox. Um, and I think Rangers that afternoon, the reserves had about eight or nine internationalists in their team. Um, and we were young because obviously it was quite a big squad that had been picked to go down for the first team Ibrox. Um, and it was it was a great experience. Um, unfortunately, you don't really get the opportunity for young players to be exposed to that now because there just isn't the strength and depth in the squads. Um, the reserve, whatever you want to call them now, the reserves, 
under 20s I've kind of lost track a little bit it is very much younger players that are just trying to come through um, so they're having to look at other options now for maybe loaning those players out for teams in the, the lower divisions to try and give them some exposure to um, playing against experienced players We'll make your debut in a minute, Russ, but just a side question. We've both seen some really talented young players not make it over the years, haven't we? I mean, there's yeah. no, it's no exact science, but I mean, also no substitute for hard work and you work very hard. Who's the best player, young player you've seen that maybe didn't make it? Didn't make it. Uh... Tough question, though. That's a tough one. You've put me in the spot. You could have messaged me before. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I tell you what, I'll give you a name. One I remember was Stephen Tarditi. Yeah, I, I tell you another one. I'll give you. It was Michael Craig. Yeah, yeah, good shout. Mikey made it to an extent, but I remember when Michael came back from Celtic. Um, he was one of those that, as a young player, I was a year younger than Mikey, um, and looked up to him because he had such a good record at Celtic in terms of scoring goals. Um, and it was seen as such a coup by Roy Aitken and Tommy Craig to get to, uh, to get Mikey back. Uh, and he was straight into the first-team squad. Uh, and he had a reputation uh, for, obviously, scoring goals. Um, and you probably look now and think, yeah, um, it maybe didn't pan out as much in, in the way that I expected it to and probably a lot of other people did as well. When did your debut? Do you remember much about it? Were you nervous? Or um, you, you were two overriding things I remember about my debut is being told about an hour and a half before that I was playing because it was it was a fitness test that Stuart McKimmy had failed on his knee. Um, so I only got told pretty much before um, kick-off that I was playing, which maybe wasn't a bad thing in hindsight. The other thing I remember is selling the jerseys for the first goal. Uh, <laughs> and we walked 2-0. Um, so it was um, not probably, in many ways, you're delighted to make your debut um, because obviously that's what you're in the game to do, try and make a career for yourself. But uh, it wasn't probably the way that I had um, hoped it would kind of pan out by the end of the game. We ended up losing 2-0 to Dunfermline. And as I know myself, uh, goals change games, unfortunately. Um, I didn't cover myself in glory with the first goal that they scored. And that was round about the time when the team started going they were on a tough run actually we um, I can't remember what the stats were but we went we, we hadn't by the end of that season we hadn't won an awful lot of games I can't remember what the run was we, we drew an awful lot of them so it wasn't as bad maybe as losing all the time but um, it was yeah I, I played the rest of the season at, uh, at, at that position because Stuart was struggling with his knee but yeah, um, like I say, the, the debut itself probably could have gone a little bit better. I see, Russ, the team was struggling a bit. I mean, you look through the team that day, I mean, I won't ask you to name it, but um, do you remember? Well, uh, Brian, Irvin. Yeah, well done. Yeah, well done, yeah. Uh, did Colin Woodthorpe play, or was it Zanko? It was Zanko played, yeah. Zanko. Um, who else? Well, Stilly was in goals. Stilly was in goals, was he? Jeez. Um, oof, you're going to have to help me now. Miller, Dodds, Booth, Shira came on, Kiriakov, Glass came on. Glass, yeah. I mean, it's Rousen, Rousen was there as well. 
I mean, yeah. it, it, though the team was struggling, I mean, it's strange because I mean, it was still a good team there, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was. And I think it, it kind of goes to show that sometimes it's not very easy to put your finger on why teams go through tough spells. Um, hmm. I think um, so often with football games, the first goal is massive. Um, and if, if you can get that and the team's full of confidence, it makes such a difference even to the opposition because they know that the team they're playing against is in good form. Um, and yeah, confidence can make a, a massive difference. As a young player, though, Ross, in, in a team like that that's struggling, you know, must, is it hard? Because you, you're obviously trying to make a name for yourself, trying to you know, get some confidence, consistency. Or in a bizarre way, is it slightly less pressure because everybody else is making mistakes as well? Yeah, I think initially that first season, when you take it out of the equation, the first game, I actually thought I played okay without the, the one, um, the first goal. But the rest of the season, I actually felt I was playing my adrenaline as much as anything. And actually, I felt like I deserved to be in the team on merit. I think it was actually the following season where I found it a little bit more tough uh, because players were starting to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and you, you weren't playing off the cuff as much, if you see what I mean. Um, so I actually think second season was probably a little bit more tough for, for me personally and to be honest for quite a few of the players anyway because the the um, the following season form is patchy again to be honest. Just a word Roddy Aiken, what was he like? I mean I, I met him a few times Russ and he, he was actually quite a gentle guy because <laughs> I mean yeah. you have this perception of him as a player but he, he was quite the opposite to that and what was he like as a manager? He had a, a big charisma um, he was very uh, had a, a big presence about him, and I think um, in, going back to my, my point before about going into the changing room, um, he was able to hold um, the the changing room, and basically, I think a lot of that came from his his career and his, his achievements. Um, I think initially when he first came in, obviously that the team had been struggling. He managed to uh, improve the form and the results, so he got the, the job on a long term basis. Um, but I, I really liked him. I thought I had a lot of time for him. Um, thought he was um, fair to me. He obviously gave me my chance, um, so I'm grateful to him for that. Um, but like I say, there was a there was an aura about him, to be honest, which I think was um, um, quite. You, you get it every so often with people that you meet. I'm not going to go through all your managers, but you then had Keith Burton, Shaw, Alex Miller, Paul Hegarty. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot of money spent back then, Russ, wasn't there? Oh, there's one common denominator there, I think, of all these managers that I've seen off. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was a lot of big name players. There was a lot of money spent, wasn't there? I mean, was there some yeah. role in the club, or was it just? I think it was. It was so different back then. They were obviously all chasing the dream. They were um, trying to keep up with Celtic and Rangers. Um, TV money was obviously very different back then um, in comparison. Everything was different uh, back then. Uh, But I think when you see other clubs that you're supposed to be competing with, signing players for big money, I think there's always a danger. You think you'll get left behind. Um, And if the, the supporters don't see you as in trying to compete with clubs, um, and trying to, to keep up, then it it doesn't give much kind of confidence for, for going forward. So, that there, yeah, there was an awful lot of money thrown about. If you look back then, some of the transfer fees that were paid, you can only imagine some of the wages that some of the, the higher earners were on, the experienced players that never 
actually say anything against them because if the clubs are willing to pay that, then that's just the, the going rate. But it was very, very different back then. And you look at the, the landscape now, um, even before the, the pandemic has hit in terms of where Scottish football has been over the last 20 years, it's very different. What was it like? It must have been character building for you, was it? Back then? Character building, yeah. I think that's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> Gave you a thick skin. You definitely needed it. But um, I think your, your family will need it as well, to be honest. Yeah, but, but, but Russell, it probably serves you well for the future, though. I mean, having that you know, negative experience did make you stronger. Yeah, I think um, there's very few players, I don't think there'll be any players that will go through a, a career without having some kind of disappointment. Um, some will have more than others. Um, I think we probably did have our fair share of disappointment in the early years, which then when you actually look to probably the first prolonged period of um, improved results and performances in my time there, probably Jimmy Calderwood. Yeah. And that just goes to show that was a while. Um, there was always spells that we actually played well, and I think under Ebbs Govdal we had a, a season where we finished fairly high up the league, but it, it wasn't consistent enough. We'll get to Jimmy in a minute. I mean, I think after sacking so many managers, particularly he wanted to stand by somebody um, yeah. and, and get back somebody. But without being too harsh, maybe Ebby was just the wrong person. I mean, well, towards the end, especially. I think you're right. I think there's there's a decision that needs to be made. Um, first and foremost, when you appoint a manager, you think, well, we're going to have to back him. We're going to have to give him time. Um, and that, I suppose, all depends on what his vision is. Looking at the players and the squad that he's going to have at his disposal, does that mean that there's going to have to be a fair few changes? Um, do they take that into account when they're actually looking at a new manager? All these kind of things need to actually be taken into account because it's one thing taking on a new manager, but then if that manager looks at the squad and decides that he wants to make quite a few changes, uh, it can be unsettling and it can be expensive as well when you're trying to get rid of all these players that are on contracts. Um, and I think the I think the, the lure of having a, an overseas manager that maybe looked at things in a different light and a different way and maybe had contacts that could get um, players that we perhaps wouldn't normally have um, been made aware of might have been attractive. Um, like you say, prior to that, um, there'd been a period of underachievement, so they were obviously looking for something different. Um, and, yeah, the amount of players that came in and out over the first season, I would have said, trialists, um, there was new people coming in every Monday, actually. Um, you were playing practice matches all the time just to kind of give them an opportunity to kind of prove themselves. And I know myself um, that if you're going into a club to demonstrate that you're better than what they've already got and you've only got two or three sessions to do it, it's not easy because you're working in an environment in a wage structure where it's going to be limited. So you're not going to be able to get certain players of a certain calibre in because they're going to go to bigger, better clubs, if you see what I mean. So there were quite a few foreigners, as everybody knows, and um, some of them were actually, uh, I would say, fairly successful, others less so. Um, but there was a huge turnover, and it did take a long time. That first season he came in, um, 
it was tough going, to be honest, really tough. Um, and I think it took time for his ideas to bend in. And like I say, eventually, we actually, um, I can't remember what season it was, we, well, we finished high enough that we got into, was it fourth that we finished one, one season, I yeah. think? Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting, put it that way. Very different to previous um, regimes. I mean, also during that time, with the, the two cup finals um, and the, the, the Scottish Cup final, you got injured. And I mean, did you realise at the time how bad an injury it was going to be, or not? Uh, no, uh, I, I didn't. Not really until after the obviously the, the worst thing about that game, um, over and above losing the, the final, um, was the injury to Jim, uh, because it, it was his, his last game. Um, so. I thought my knee injury was bad enough, clearly, that I had to come off, but I didn't think it would cause me too many issues, that I would go away over the summer, uh, have the chance to, to recover, recuperate, and then I'd be back okay for pre-season. But the longer close season went, I kind of knew I was struggling to get back um, fit for pre-season. Pre-season itself managed it in a way that I tried to get as much fitness as possible, uh, knowing that my knee still wasn't right, um, and it kind of just, it was a catalogue of, of things um, that kind of went on um, of, yeah, breaking down until ultimately we're, yeah, I tore my cruise ship in a, a training session actually, uh, where I was, I think it was the day before I was supposed to come back and play a reserve game. And so it was, ended up being a, a pretty long um, winded experience of eventually coming back. I think it was, it was over a year from the time that I did it initially the cup final to actually getting back to, to first team football. Um, it was a fair bit longer than a year, actually. More than John Sharp. Yeah. I mean, with these long-term injuries, Russ, it's, it's, often it's more the mental side of things that's yeah. hard, isn't it? They're not yeah. physically recovering. And, I mean, that's where Sharp is so good at keeping guys going and keeping people motivated. Yeah, I think you'll find um, that with players... You can go one of two ways. You're right. The mental side of it is really important, and doing your your routine every day to try and get fit again. It gives you a certain discipline, I think, and in a weird kind of way, I think that set me in good stead for the rest of my career. That I knew I had to kind of keep up all the bits and pieces that I did, um, and it did expose you to the gym a lot more. Um, I think back now, obviously, even the academy teams, they're all doing their, their strength and conditioning to different extents depending on their ages, but they're all doing it now. I think back then it was more a case of if you wanted to do it off your own back, then fine, but it was less structured. Um, I think that was gradually introduced, and now they're at the point where it's, it's seen as a massive part, part of the game. Um, so, no, Sharpie was important, and give Davy a bit of credit as well because it wasn't just one of them, it was both of them but yeah. in terms of keeping you going motivated, knowing when to drive you on, knowing when to back off a little bit if you were going to be going through a little bit of tough spell, maybe giving you the odd day off here or there or uh, working you harder because he knew that you could, your body could take it um, that's worth its weight in gold um, and Sharpie knew my body better than I did to be honest so if I was in, in any doubt before a game, I think, I'm not sure about this. I knew if he said to me, you're fine, then 
99 times out of 100, yeah, I'll go with it and I'll be fine. And, and uh, it was it proved right. A lot of the foreign players left, it's guys in big wages left, which did allow some of the younger boys to come through. And there was a good group, wasn't there? I mean, there was yourself, Ryan S. and Kevin McNaught, and the young brothers, Phil McGuire, Darren Mackey. And it sort of lifted the dressing room, didn't it? I mean, there was a. I mean, Darren was never a dull moment. <laughs> Darren and Essen were about, was it? I know. Uh, no, it, it was. I think it created space um, for the, the younger players to kind of grow into the team and in the changing room. Um, and they'd all come up through, most of them, exceptionally me and Darren Young, everyone else that you mentioned and came through were maybe a year, two years younger than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had all kind of played together uh, through the youth team and trained together when they were coming up through the system. Um, so it did, kind of along with a, a few experienced players, I think it created a good environment, um, which there was quite a few of them uh, went on to play quite a few games for the first team, yeah. yeah. So we'll to Jimmy into the good days in a minute, okay? <laughs> Just <laughs> Steve Patterson era. Um, I mean, I, I felt sorry for Stephen. As I've said before, I think the club could have done a lot more to help him. Um, it, it, it was, it was tough, wasn't it? I, I think he just. I mean, a lot of managers have said to me, Jimmy Calder would say the same. They didn't realise how big the, the club was, and I think for Steve, it was just too big a task, wasn't it? I think if you hear uh, the stories anecdotally about comparing, say, press conferences before a game on a Thursday at Pataudry compared to what that used to look like up at Cali Thistle. Um, it's like night and day. Yeah. Um, and in fairness, when you look at Pelly's record at, at Huntley um, in Cali Thistle, he he deserved to be thought about for the job, absolutely, 100%, because his record kind of stood up. And especially, like you said, when they were looking to cut back, um, wages were getting reduced. So you're then looking at a different type of player. You could understand the thought process about Pelly having worked um, in the lower leagues. He knew that landscape well enough that he could identify players and sign them um, and build a team with it. But it's 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 easy to say that um, in theory, uh, actually, it's very different in practice. Um, and obviously, after um, the well-documented um, issues. I think it was always going to be an uphill battle for him um, to really recover long-term from it, which was a shame because I've got a lot of time for him and I think everyone else does as well. Oh, I'd absolutely agree with that. And, and Duncan as well. I mean, you remember the, the game you never plugged up for? Because I remember back, the Friday night, the club actually had, the council put on an event, didn't they? I was just there. Well, all the players were there. Why on earth would have that Friday night? Not all of them, Mal, because there was the game on Saturday. So the ones that did have to go were the ones that were either injured or they weren't involved on the Saturday because they were injured or suspended. Now, I was probably injured. (laughs) 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 No, I actually think I was suspended. I think I was. It was at the beach ballroom because it was for the centenary. So, yeah. Um, I mean, back in the day, I think... You can go back a long, long way. I don't think. Um, I think there would probably would have been certain managers that went out and had a few drinks on a Friday night. But unfortunately, um, if you managed to control that to an extent, but yeah, yeah. Uh, because I wasn't involved on the Saturday, I was up 
uh, doing the the usual pre-match with the, the sponsors and stuff like that. So I actually didn't realise until um, at 10 to 3 when I went down to the changing, like you always did, just to wish the players well. Um, and you found out then that it was um, it was what it was, um, which was it was surreal. It was bizarre. Uh, then watching the game thinking, aye, um, what, what had happened and what was uh, happening at that moment in time. I thought Duncan Shearer did a very good job that day, you know, very professionally. A lot of time for Duncan as well, and I think he was a good coach, wasn't he? Yeah, you know. I think Duncan and Osher, um, I had a lot of time for the two of them. Um, I still well, occasionally speak to, to Osher now. Um, but no, I think that, that Duncan yeah, handled it as well as he could have on that day, bearing in mind all the questions were going to get thrown at him. And, um, all the theories that were getting thrown about. As you know how people like to talk, and uh, uh, football club is, is no different to anything else. But no, he, he handled himself really well that day, from what I can remember. He did make the captain, though, is that right? He was a guy who uh, first got the Oh, I, no, it was um, Ebby. Was it Ebby? Okay, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, because da, Daz was captain before me, and then Ebby made me captain. Um, and then Pelly after that, um, yeah. So what was, what was it like when you were cap- given the captain's armband for the ter- first time, Russ? Was it quite daunting, or is it something uh, different, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if I look back now, um, would I say I was ready for it? I don't know. I think there was quite a few people that probably looked at me and thought, "No, he's not capable of doing that. Uh, too young, not vocal enough." Um, got their own particular reasons why they didn't fancy me being as captain. Um, I think, I suppose it's always something that you've got to go and prove yourself like anything else. And I think in time, um, probably grew into it, to, to be honest. But I certainly remember, and people would say quite openly to your face, I don't think you're you're up to being captain. I don't you can say it to them. You just have to go and try and prove them wrong. Um, that's the, the beauty of football. Everyone's got an opinion. Right, then Russ, Jimmy Caldwood came along. Um, I mean, would you agree there's a right man at the right time, a larger-than-life character who sort of lifted the club? Yeah, I think so. Um, especially when you consider the circumstances in which the um, previous season had finished and, and early left. I think definitely needed um, an injection of something um, to get the everybody kind of thinking more positively again. Um, and at the same time, that obviously, Willie uh, came in and he'd identified Jimmy as, as being the, the manager that he felt was best placed to kind of get us up the league. I mean, he'd, he'd done good things and received plaudits for the way that his Dunfermline team had been playing, attacking football. Um, and, yeah, uh, I think probably fair to say that he, he must have looked at the squad and thought he's got the makings of a good team here but certainly needed some additions um, and yeah it was quite a transformation in a pretty quick uh, period of time to be honest made some good signings so I mean obviously Seve came in Barry Nick yeah all, I mean, a great player in his day Jamie Smith yeah. that also kind of goes back to your original point about how the finances at football clubs kind of ebb and flow, and mm-hmm. um, clearly the, um, the board had decided that they need to invest into the, the team. Um, 
to to get us further up the, the table. Um, and you always kind of look at that and think if, if certain managers were given the same budget as other managers, then how would they kind of perform with that? Uh, but no, he spent the money wisely, signed some good players, uh, like you say, Seve, Baz, um, Steve Lovell, uh, we Jamie Smith. Uh, Smitty was brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. No wheeling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I tell you about no wheeling? <laughs> uh, oh, he was. He was. I think that the manager had a lot of time for him because he was. He was himself larger than life. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah. Um, I don't think you can not like <laughs> Snowball. Um, he was infectious, shall we say? Um, but no, he he signed. Well, uh, and like I say, he had the makings of a good team anyway. Um, and I think, going back to my point earlier on about confidence, I think our first game at home was against Rangers. We drew with them, I think. First game of the season, 0-0. Mm. And we awaited Dunfermline and drew with them, who previous season had finished much higher in the league. And then I think we beat Dundee United third game. So we were sitting there reasonable. I think when the, the fixtures came out, a lot of people would have looked at that and thought that's a tough start to the season. But getting the points on the board early, I think, certainly kind of injected a bit of confidence into the team. Um, and when you saw that the players make a difference as well, the likes of Seve and uh, Baz, um, you could see that um, he, he was pulling together a, a decent enough team. Well, Jimmy, I mean, it was one of the things he used to do. I mean, everybody used to have to go to the players' lounge after the game, didn't they? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which, I mean, I know okay, there was obviously a few beers had, not everybody drank, but I mean, at the time I thought it was all a bit strange, but looking back now, it was just his way of creating a sort of, you know, sort of family culture and a yeah. kind of spirits in the place, isn't it? It's funny because obviously he spent a lot of his time over in Holland, did his badges over there, so his views were very much kind of... Um, formulated about football over there, I would say, to an extent, in terms of how he wanted to play. But there was still a big part of him that really got, I think, the the, the team bonding, the, the family, family side of it that he felt was really important um, and what would make a, a successful changing room. So he was insistent uh, home games that uh, everyone would go into the, the players' room for half an hour with their families as well. You could have a beer if you wanted to, you didn't need to. Um, and there was quite a few players that wouldn't. Um, occasionally, you would have a beer if you wanted. Uh, but I think it, it probably worked well. There was always the occasional, if you'd had a, a bad result, you just wanted to kind of go home um, and lick your wounds kind of thing. But he was, like I say, he was insistent that we had to do after every home game. Uh, and I, I think it was actually not a bad idea. Just to on Jimmy Nick as well, Ross, because I, I, I have a lot of time for Jimmy Nick. I, I think he's a very, very good coach as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, a good coach, but so enthusiastic about football as well um, that he would always be there around about the changing room. And I, I know a lot of people can say, well, um, how much of a difference does having players or coaches that bring something to a changing room? I mean, first and foremost, you've got to have ability, knowledge for football, whatever role you're in. But... Um, having the 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 additional um, what would you say characteristics that, that Jimmy had, he was really knowledgeable, incredible career, um, and he was just 
like you said, it was infectious. It would drop off on you, his enthusiasm for the game. Um, and I think they, they worked well together, actually. I thought they, they bounced well off each other, to be honest. Oh, that's a good point. 2006-07 season, your testimonial, I mean, it was a great season. I, I mean, I enjoyed your testimonial. We had some good events, didn't we? Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. Um, it was a funny one because the, the game actually got arranged at pretty short notice. And it was basically Jimmy that, that came to me because he knew, obviously, that at some point that season... Uh, we were going to be, uh, well, the committee were going to be organising a game. Um, and Everton had um, been up for pre-season uh, trip to, to Scotland. They were looking for one last game before their season started. Ours had started the week before. Um, so he contacted the, the committee um, and then they obviously looked at it and thought, well, actually, yeah, that could be... I was looking at the a photograph from it the other day, funnily enough, um, and I look at some of the players back then that the Everton the team had, and Gary Nathan was there, I think, was Faddy there? Yeah, um, was, um, Julian Lescott, I think. Um, so the, it was a decent enough team, and yeah, I, I enjoyed the whole experience, it's just been recognised in that way, it was, um, well, it was good, um, kids loved it as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good day. Just, I mean, that season, the end of it, just before you left, we qualified for Europe. I mean, which was actually a great achievement, Russ, wasn't it? Because it was a really good standard league that year, wasn't it? For a couple of seasons, it was obviously a lot of money, but the, the league was a good standard. Yeah, I think you look back at the teams then, and it's always, you never like comparing teams of now with teams of old because things move on, things change, and I never think it's actually the right thing to do. But when you look back at the, the, uh, the, the level of the, the opposition. Um, there was more money in the game back then, definitely. Um, and there were quite a few internationalists in the Celtic and the Rangers teams. Hearts and Hibs, I think, were obviously in a pretty strong position. Hibs were just starting to get that, um, that core of young players that came through at the same time. Um, so it was, I thought it was a a fairly good um, outcome that season. The one thing, and everyone's kind of said it, and I agree with it, where we let ourselves down with Jimmy Caldwell was the Cups. Yeah. One thing I think that you look back and you think we had opportunities to do better, um, and that's probably one thing that frustrates uh, as much as anything about the time from back then. Yeah, absolutely. You then left the club. I mean, it's obviously well documented that you, you know you went off for a contract and that. I mean, it was just I mean, you didn't want to leave. I mean, could the club have handled things better, Russ, or you just accept that's what it was, that's what happened back then? I think at times like that you have to accept that at the end of the day you're just a commodity. Um, I mean, guys, we just bought a house um, six months before. We just moved there thinking that this was going to be us for me for the rest of my career. So yeah, I think. Um, it's certainly not something I was looking for. Um, could it have been handled better? Um, I think, in fairness to the club, they were probably one of the first to see how Scottish football was going to be changing and they had to get their their house in order. Um, and you look at the amount of debt um, that clubs were carrying back then. Um, and like I say, they had to make a decision. And it, it just does make you realise that at the end of the day that um, 
even though you're maybe at a club for a long time, uh, you support it. Uh, you've you've done a lot for it, um, and don't get me wrong, enjoyed it. Um, it's a business at the end of the day, um, and I think it probably taught me a lesson in football. That to be fair. Your time in England, I mean, obviously with the fit of injuries, but I mean, looking back, Ross, you played for some big, big clubs, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, you can just be proud of that. I mean, the, the Sunderlands, the Derbys, you know, Burnley yeah. as well. Um, I mean, I mean, I know you've got no regrets about going down there. How, how do those clubs compare with Aberdeen? It's funny. I think I was lucky. All the clubs that I played with, um, I think for sheer size, Sunderland was obviously the, the biggest. Um, but there was the clubs that I all played at. I think they all shared kind of similar characteristics in terms of they were well-run clubs. People looked after you, um, and you kind of felt like you were you were wanted. Um, Plymouth, Burnley, and I think that kind of stem starts from from the, the top. Uh, uh, at Burnley, Owen Coyle, I think, was at that time he just um, he was on a, an upward trajectory, if you want to call it that, after having left St Johnston. Had a good group of players there and he got them playing really well the season and they went up. Um, Derby again, a big club, um, but still the people within the club were, were good people. Um, and you can say that about every club that I've, I've been at. It's the people that you, the, the, the supporters probably don't see um, that are working behind the scenes, um, all for the same common goal, that they want their team and their club to uh, to be successful. So I, I think I was I was lucky in many ways. No regrets, but be honest, when you've seen Seve leading the team out against Bayern Munich at the Alliance Stadium, you think, oh, how did that lucky bugger get to do that? I'm not going to tell you what my words were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Seve deserved it because I, I think Seve was uh, an important player for the team back then and he um, he brought a lot to the, the side. Um, mm-hmm. So um, had no issues at all. If I wanted, I suppose, anyone to be captain after me, it would have been Seve, definitely. When you came back, I mean, again, I'm right. It's easy to forget. I've forgotten that you didn't sign a contract. You were just coming back for treatment, weren't you? I was, yeah, looking for help. <laughs> so um, I was injured out of my job and needed somebody to kind of help me with my rehab. Um, and also the age that the, that the kids were, um, we made a decision to come back up here for, for their school as much as, as anything. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, at the back of my mind, um, I did kind of hope that if I was able to kind of get fit, there was maybe the chance that I could prove myself. Um, but I also knew at that time that I was quite a fair distance off being fit. Um, so, again, Sharpie was important, massively important, uh, to, to get me fit. Um, and Craig Brown at the time as well was, was really good to me. Um, he... Uh, he was as helpful as he could have been just to give me the um, the facilities. Um, I'd come in after all the players were finished um, for training and stuff like that because obviously I wasn't, they were just doing it as a favour initially. So um, first and foremost, they had to kind of look after the players and get them ready for upcoming games and stuff. So um, it was, you never, never actually kind of knew how um, it would play out 
but once you kind of got back into the, the routine of trying to get yourself fit and doing the rehab properly, um, I think my hope kind of increased that I would be able to at least uh, prolong my career slightly, however long that would be. As you say, Archie were there, and then Derek came in first season, um, win the League Cup. We'll come to the final in a minute, but the semi-final was such a big mental hurdle for the for the club. Because mm-hmm. lost, I mean, but, but was that for the same for the players as well? Were they aware of that at all or not? Was there a nervousness? Or? Do you know what? I think what you'll find is with maybe certain players who haven't been at a club for very long, you've got to remember that players kind of, a lot of players come and go. Um, they'll maybe be at a club for two or three years, maybe longer. Um, like Savandi, very different. Um, so the 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 history, perhaps, that supporters understand and, and feel in terms of the pressure going into certain games. Like I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Shea, who'd only signed, um, what was it, a few days before? Yeah, that's right. obviously had absolutely no idea, um, I would have thought, that it had been that long since we, um, Aberdeen, had um, been in a cup final or won some silverware. Um, so I think it's different depending on how long the players have been there and what their history is, to be honest, if they've um, been brought up in the in the area, if they've supported the club, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I kind of felt it. I probably felt, I would say, more pressure for the semi-final than the final because I probably felt that this was uh, my, my last opportunity, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, that, the atmosphere that day was incredible, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, to be fair, I mean, there was a spell, 20 minute spell, St. Johnson absolutely battered us, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, we started great, scored probably, sounds daft, but too early. Um, and then mm-hmm. Paul was actually kept us ahead with a really good save at 1 0. And then the timing of the goals was actually really important that day. To get the second one just before half time, you get in two 0 up, and you look at it and you think we probably don't we we don't deserve to be ahead. Um, second half we were better um, and hit them on the break, um, and by the end it was comfortable. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The, the the first half, I would say St Johnston would look at that and think, how did we lose that game four 0 I thought we were clinical, really clinical on the day. Um, Pete and Johnny at that point, Niall, uh, Adam. Um, players were playing with a lot of confidence um, and they were playing well. And that day, uh, when we were going forward, it, it kind of worked. Um, and like I say, we were, we were ruthless. Yeah, the final bit, I mean, before that, we actually beat Celtic as well at Parkhead, uh, where you scored. Uh, <laughs> um, I yeah, I mean, looking back at that team, uh, 2014, you, you, with Jacko, with the players that I've mentioned, mm. um, Johnny was on fire that season. Niall, uh, I noticed something pop up um, a couple of days ago. Niall's couple of goals against Hibs at Easter Road in the same game. Um, so, Barry Robson as well. Willow Flood came in. They were influential, weren't they? Exactly, absolutely. So, you look back and you think probably. Again, coming back to things that you feel like you could have done, really the biggest frustration would have been the other semi-final against St Johnston, where yeah. we had a great opportunity to get to another final there, and we, we didn't we didn't take it. 
Won the League Cup final. Do you remember anything about the game, be honest? <laughs> have you ever watched it back? Uh, not the, Have I watched the full game? No, I haven't watched the full game. Countless people have told me and I've played it. It wasn't great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I remember probably more the, the build-up to it in terms of the, the amount of interest that was generated in the city. But also the, the other side to it was um, the... The game, I think, that Inverness had to play in the, the build-up to it. So they, did they play in the Wednesday or something before the, the final on the Sunday? And I remember John Hughes, he was That's trying really, to play yeah. um, as a, to, I think, really to put the pressure back on us. They were the underdogs. Nobody expected them to win. We've got 40,000 fans going down. They, they won't want to um, disappoint them. And, and they set up that day not to lose. Um, and we struggled to really find any creativity because Johnny went off early doors, Pete failed a fitness test. Um, so you were looking at two of your most influential attacking players being out of the team that day. Um, and it, it did end up being a bit of a, a non-event in terms of the game itself. Um, but I suppose at the end of the day, we won and um, all that really matters. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to lift a trophy. I thought it was really nice for us the fact that you had your two lads next day. Right? Yeah. You know, and they, you know, you spoke a lot about your family, but and they've been through a lot, as you see, when England were moving about schools and things. I thought that was a, a nice moment. Yeah, I think they were at an age where they really enjoyed it. Um, I think having the kids young, they've been. I watched. I probably lost count of how many times they've been to watch watch them uh, play. Um, so I think from that point of view, it was it was good that they were able to kind of enjoy it, take part to an extent. Um, and, and there was a, quite a few of the other boys as well had their families um, with them and stuff. And it was, I think, it was a long time waiting, shall we say. The, the bus trip home, I think, was probably more memorable than the actual game. But I, mean, I remember spending time with you at the hotel that night, and I mean, you were quite calm. You were quite, you know... As much as that, I think it was a it was quite a tiring day. Um, we woke up early, so the whole event, I think, took it out of you. Um, the bus journey was really good, but then when you actually got back to the hotel, um, some of the younger boys went into town. But yeah, yeah, it was just, I, I felt exhausted at the end of the day. And I think um, it was it was one of those things that you just... Probably as, as much a relief as anything else, to be honest. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, loved it. Mm. Uh, but I think, yeah, just the the day itself, I think, had taken its toll. You actually took the cup home that night. Did you tell uh, anybody? Because I, I, I might be making this up, but I seem to remember some frantic phone calls the next morning from Paul Henry. Like, uh, who's got the cup? <laughs> I think they'd already left. Jim Warrender was just a way to um, take it back to wherever, probably his house, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> when we were just leaving at the same time, the kids asked the question, um, so I asked him if he would mind, so no, we walked up the road with the cup, <laughs> uh, the four of us, uh, and then the next morning, you're right, Paul Henry was uh, phoning frantically trying to establish who had actually taken the cup. Um, needless to say, we dropped off a couple of hours later. <laughs> it was not... Um, <laughs> Aye, the kids enjoyed that. Yeah, having it next morning, waking up for breakfast. 
There was quite a few times I remember the cup went missing. I mean, I used to go through the boardroom looking for it and find out that George Yule was taking his tour of the North East of Scotland. Did you, did you ever hear about the time it rolled out the back of his car or not? Oh, it popped out of the boot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, it didn't have the same outcome. I think it was Real Madrid that um, had that issue. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it wasn't as quite as bad as that, but probably bad enough if you were the one looking after it. <laughs> a bus almost ran over. Um, I had a couple of seasons under Derek. I mean, it was good times, wasn't it? And th- did that make the retirement harder, Russell, because of the fact that you know you, you had such a good team? Because the season you retired, I mean, you, were, you know, you were the te- part of the team that beat Groningen. Um, yeah, I think it, it was. Um, it was. It was frustrating, and disappointing, because I felt um, in certain ways I could have played on, but when you lose the confidence, it's even though all the injuries that I'd had in my career, I'd never actually lost confidence in my body, but this was the first time that I did, and I kept breaking down. Um, and from that point of view, I didn't want to be the person that was always breaking down. Um, on, on one hand, saying to the manager, I'm going to be fit in a couple of weeks, and then a week later, having to say to him, well, no, things haven't gone to plan. Um, and I, I kind of knew myself that if I didn't have the confidence in my body to actually get me through, um, then it probably was the, the right time, um, which was kind of frustrating because, like you say, the team at that point um, were actually developing really nicely. Um, so it would have been nice to play another couple of seasons, but it just wasn't to be. Russ, that's just all ex-players who, who, who after retired, but what's the thing you miss most about football? Uh, what do I miss most? Probably the the big games, I would say, um, and also the changing room. I think most players would probably say that. Um, I think lucky in a way, if you can have a career play football for for twenty years, it's it's not a bad way to earn a living. Um, and. I, I feel I was pretty lucky, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, you'd probably say that. Um, you still keep in touch with some of the, the boys um, that you play with, but there's an, all, an awful lot of players that you've played with throughout your career um, that you kind of lose track of. Um, so you would say probably that the big games when they come round, um, that's the ones that you kind of think that either, you, know, you, you were, would wish that you were still involved yeah. The dressing room thing is interesting, Russ, because I think every player does say that. It just, it's just a unique environment, isn't it? What's, yeah. the, what's the best prank you've seen in a dressing room that you, you're allowed to tell us about? Uh, best prank? I think there was the safe ones that you can speak about. It's probably, um, probably Daz Mackey and uh, Kevin McNaughton, they used to just fill up cups of water above the door um, uh, attach it to the door so when the next person came in the cup would fall down on whoever it was soaking them um, and probably the best one I've seen that they got was Jimmy Galder where it was brilliant um, <laughs> you had to be there to kind of see it Ross, um, <laughs> I was there that day he, he was away golfing wasn't he So he had, yeah. his, he had his good golf gear on his Lyle has got it all rest of it I, and I mean, it was like a cartoon. I mean, you just seen the red mist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I say, you kind of you had to be there, but it was it was funny. Those kind of things that 
Um, yeah, it, it did kind of. You, you look back and you think there were some uh, good times. Ross, just to finish off, some quick fire ones. Yeah. Best player played with. You can name. Oh. Played with. I'll, I'll stick. I'll keep with Aberdeen because I basically didn't play with that many boys down in England. Uh, I would probably have to say ability alone, probably Jesse. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with Jesse. Yeah. Um, best player played against. Mm, I think I've probably said this one quite a few times. So, in the interest of being consistent, it'd have to be Larson. I would have said. Yeah. Different level. Right, the favourite goal that you've ever scored? Oh, favourite goal. You scored a few, to be fair, didn't you? It was all right. Um, I had phases that I went quite a while without scoring. There was a couple of seasons that I managed to get myself. Uh, probably the one at the Parkhead, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the ones against Celtic and Rangers were always quite, yeah, enjoyable. Every goal is enjoyable, but some, you would say, maybe stand out more than others, but yeah, probably the one at Parkhead um, when we beat them in the Scottish Cup. That's easy. Best goal you've ever seen? Goal you've been standing there in the pitch and just gone, wow. Oh, oh, you should have messaged me that question as well. Uh, Off the top of my head, oh, that's a tough one. I don't know, I don't know. I'd need to get back to you now. The most bizarre one would have right. to be Darren Bent's one against Liverpool with the, the beach ball. <laughs> the best one, I'd need to come back to you for that. Okay. Just, I know, that's a bit unfair. Um, just quickly, favourite game? I mean, was it the League Cup final or was there any others that maybe stick out for other reasons? The League Cup final, for obvious reasons, I've already mentioned, the actual game itself was great, uh, but for the, the prize at the end of it, yes. Um, probably that game that we beat Rangers last game of the season mm-hmm. to get to Europe. There was a lot of pressure on us that day. Um, I know I don't think the Rangers had much to play for then, but they still had a good team and we needed to win um, to guarantee it. So um, off the top of my head, you would say maybe that one, Sebi scored up. That would probably be one um, for importance as much as anything would be up there for good goals um, so yeah I'd probably go with that one yeah we had a good night that night as well Ross I seem to remember <laughs> yeah <laughs> feels like a long time ago now but it is just and just finally Ross I mean you're obviously still doing the coaching with Martin assistant manager how, how are you enjoying that is it water boy um, well I mean we've obviously been uh, locked down for a while now because uh, well, it was kind of cancelled before the, the Premier League enjoying it as much as you talk about the changing room and stuff like that and it's the same even at, at that level you, you enjoy uh, being in and around uh, the players good group of players there a few former Aberdeen players um, Johnny Crawford Jerry Smith and that um, so yeah enjoy it um, It it's good um, gives you something to kind of look forward to the weekends and training, etc. Um, so, hopefully, once we get out the other side of this, then things can return to normality. We can get back to um, playing football. And just sorry, I also mentioned your foundation, Russ, which I know you yeah. get a lot of enjoyment out of. You've put a lot of work into that over the last ten years or so. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, naturally, we're like everyone else at the moment. Schools are off. Um, initially, we were supporting the, the key workers. The schools have been open. Our coaches were in uh, helping out with that. Um, but, but funnily enough, I read a stat the other day, but the actual the, the demand um, more key workers are actually choosing for their kids to stay with with other people rather than go to school. Um, so it's um, up until recently, it's been going really well. Um, I think last count, we're reaching over three thousand kids a week um, on a, a regular basis, um, and it, it's come a long way since we started it up. So yeah, it, someone else, it's another plate to spin, keep us going. Um, so it's yeah, it's all good. Ross, it's been a pleasure, mate. Like looking yeah. back at one of the great Aberdeen careers, I certainly really enjoyed working with you over many years, especially when you were a captain. So thanks for some great okay. memories in the, in the friendship over the years. Yeah, okay, right. You get a good night's sleep, eh? <laughs> <laughs> These are worrying and uncertain times, which might affect your mental health. It's easy to feel like your mind's all over the place. Moving more can clear your head. Making time for what you enjoy and keeping to a routine helps too. For other tips on staying positive during the coronavirus outbreak, visit clearyourhead.scot. Some news first of all. Um, before we go, Aberdeen FC Community Trust has been boosted by a grant of almost £25,000 from North Sound's Cash for Kids, which will see at least 800 more families benefit from food deliveries during the current crisis. So some good news there. Uh, the field of players in contention for the Aberdeen FC Player of the Year vote has increased, so in no particular order, these are the top player votes so far. It's Scott McKenna, Andy Constantine, Funzo Ojo, Joe Lewis, Sam Cosgrove and Lewis Ferguson. The vote is open till the 27th of June and you can vote at invernessreds.co.uk forward slash POTY 1920. That's invernessreds.co.uk forward slash POTY 1920. As I said last week, the season ticket financing deadlines will likely be extended and indeed they have. The six-month interest-free deadline and the 10-month finance deadline is now 5.30pm on the 1st of June and AFC investors have agreed to extend the deadline for their 10% March donation to the Trust to the 1st of June, with a view to generate £200,000 for the Trust through March donations. You can purchase your season ticket online at afc.co.uk forward slash e-tickets. Um, next Sunday will be what should have been our last game of the season, and as it stands, we don't know whether we'll get to play out the remainder of this season or not. Usually at this point, we would drop into pre-season mode, but whilst we are in limbo, we'll continue with the weekly updates for the time being. You can catch up with all the latest Don's news on our social media. Just follow us using Inverness Reds on Twitter and Facebook, or head on over to our website at invernessreds.co.uk. Coming up, the news from May 1983 following our win in Gothenburg. I'll be back with more with the AFC Don's cast next Tuesday. Before then, stay home, stay safe and stand free. Don's plane, part of the returning airborne armada, touched down. It was to be the noisiest arrival the airport had ever seen, as the Red and White Brigade turned the terminal into a mini Pataudry Stadium and got a look at the trophy. 
Police and airport staff had asked people to stay away, but the requests fell on ears obviously deafened by the shouting and cheering of the last 24 hours. But it was music to the victors. Oh, fabulous. Really terrific. Well, we knew it was a big one, big party, but look, I'm proud of the support of went there. It was unbelievable. Did the success surprise you? No, no, no. Well, we thought we'd win. We were confident. The local hero's journey from airport to city centre will probably go down as the slowest ever. The education authority refused a half-day's holiday, but the young fans weren't going to be left out, nor were a lot of other supporters. Hard to believe, but Don's followers... ...was waiting for them. They'd certainly expected a warm welcome, which is what they got at Aberdeen Airport. But only as their open-top coach neared the city centre did the Dons begin to realise the impact their win had had on Britain's oil capital, which had literally dried up for the afternoon. Manager Alex Ferguson was still in a daze from last night. Well, the, the support, you go for your support, they, they were absolutely magnificent. And the rest of the night goes in so quickly that, that um, the champagne was flowing and you don't get to your bed, but who worries about that? But, oh, it was great. The streets which had been deserted during the match were packed solid as Scotland's newest football heroes came home. Hangovers were apparently rare. Many fans were still drunk from last night. All in all, it was the sort of welcome that would put even Liverpool to shame. Jeremy Hans... The cavalcade continued its triumphant journey through the centre of the city and on to Petardry, where a capacity crowd were waiting to see their team and their cup. And the fans themselves have come in for high praise from the authorities in Gothenburg. The police commander said today that the 10,000-strong Red Army have behaved impeccably. Aberdeen and their supporters, he said, are welcome back any victory. They sang their hearts out, bawled at some of the referees' decisions and cried at the end of the night. One of the most emotional nights in Scottish football. After Aberdeen scored an extra time, the remaining seven minutes were the longest any Aberdeen fan could remember. Some turned their heads away not bearing to look, others sought spiritual support. Then at last it came. After cheering the team on a lap of honour, the fans spilled out of the stadium and a new fountain, completed only 24 hours earlier, was duly christened. The celebrations continued well into the morning. The fans were still dancing at dawn when the task of clearing up the stadium began. Two fans lost their passports. Seven others missed the ferry home this morning. Five others, slightly the worse for drink, spent the night in local police cells. But once again, the fans of Aberdeen have excelled themselves in Europe. The local police and the British consulate here in Gothenburg have praised their behaviour. There's no doubt it's the greatest achievement in the club's history. And despite the hangover... historic victory, the Red Army were not taking prisoners as they hit the Swedish night spots. Just in case anyone was still trying to sleep it off, the ferry added her voice to the chorus. That set off a chain reaction from the fishing boats and supply ships around the port, as the 500 sailing fans got a hero's welcome all of their own.
None of them wanted to miss the seams, and they'd taken over vantage points in the lifeboats and up the masts just to make sure. And once again in this incredible red and white letter week, another city location was transformed into a corner of Pitodri. Don's boss Alec Ferguson and striker Mark McGee brought the trophy to the quayside with them for these supporters' first sight of it on Scottish soil. For those waiting on shore, a chance to show that for some, Don's mania is in its infancy. Just about all the 500 passengers must have shaken hands with the manager. The perfect end to a perfect trip. I've been on, on the ship now six years and the atmosphere. I was down, down the stairs last night uh, just to join in the celebrations for, a, for a, about an hour or so and it was absolutely tremendous. I, I've never seen anything like it before. Do you suppose there's been a voyage like that, quite like that oh, before? I, I doubt it very much. I doubt it very much. Uh, and I must say that the behaviour was exemplary. We had no, absolutely no trouble at all. One, one, one small incident uh, on the outward crossing. And of course the football team got the correct results so that on the way back it was absolutely tremendous. So none of the fears of hooliganism, nothing like that? Nothing like that at all. I I, we haven't uh, checked up on what, what uh, we'll not know until this afternoon, but I've not even heard any damage at all, even broken glasses, something like that, that's about all. P&O have found new passengers, the supporters a brand new football special. But the company say it's unlikely they'll comply with the wishes of one fan who wanted to book passage from here up the Clyde to Hampden for the Scottish Cup final next week. The crew won't have had time by then to catch up on sleep lost at the victory parties. It was quite a night, as Nick Cowie reports. They saved the celebration until everyone had had a good day's sleep. Immediately after the match, the fans had been so drained of emotion that they just talked and relived the goals until the early hours. Then, last night, the party that was to last until almost breakfast time today began. It really didn't seem possible to top the scenes from the journey out, but the Red Army had promised that would be nothing compared to what we'd see if they won, and they were right. This was just the warm-up as they began to demolish the rapidly dwindling supply of beer and danced their way home to Aberdeen. It's midnight now on the last night of the voyage and after four days on the ship we're left with a hundred different impressions, all of them good-humoured. The fans here have been magic, they've been good ambassadors for their city, there's been no trouble, though it's been a free spending trip. Nine and a half thousand pounds have gone across the counter of the duty-free shop here and some 15,000 cans of lager have been drunk. But despite that, the behaviour's been good. And just to give one example of the sort of people these are, in the early hours of this morning, when the fans, we all were celebrating winning the cup, we received some sad news on board that one of the fans had died of a heart attack at the match. To a man, everyone stood up and held two minutes silence, and a very, very large donation is going to the family of that man. But on a happier note, the parties are still going on board all over the ship here, and everyone's having a good time. And by the morning, we just hope that the cup will be there to greet us at the dockside. Meanwhile, back at the disco, the band were losing the decibel battle with the fans. How they still had voices left after days of singing and cheering, we'll never know. What they certainly hadn't lost was the amazing goodwill and humour that had marked the trouble-free trip from the beginning. 
One veteran fan said he'd never seen anything like it in his life, and that included VE Day. Perhaps it was all summed up by the last tannoy message from the purser. Will the passenger who lost his false teeth please come to reception, where he'll find them stuck in an apple? That's all for this week. More Aberdeen news next Tuesday evening from 8.